2017, the whole thing, and all the movies that were in it. My name is Tom Chick, and to discuss those movies, I'm here with Christian Murnowski. Uh. <laughs> what happened? I thought. I thought. I think. I, hold on a second. I'm sorry. Hopefully we use this. <laughs> no, we're live. We're on the air. This is this is going out to all the listeners. I don't know what I did. I want I want to picture Dingus is actually just looking at his screen and nothing went wrong and he's just stumped. <laughs> no, I'm not stumped. I'm just making uh, my name. Okay. What? I or think I got his name right. For I Dingus, I finally learned how to pronounce your name and it's and it's rendered you speechless. Freaked him out. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a, a safe word gone wrong. <laughs> I don't know. That, or what's okay. the word that you shut down a replicant with? Or did I dream that? A safe word is something else, Kelly Wand. Oh. <laughs> well, Yelp. I guess I Red got black. Dingus's name right. So that now takes us to the 20... Guess, what? What? I guess Dingus's issues resolved based on his... Horrified silence. Yeah, I'm sorry. I thought, I thought my recording had dropped. My bad. And with a 2017 tagline, finally, the moment we've all been waiting for for a full year, Kelly Wand. Sad. <laughs> no, oh. Kelly Wand, we're talking about movies, not politics. Oh. I was um, pretty. I, I don't. I'm not one of those guys who goes like, "Yeah, this is a great movie for years," or "bad," or "good year for movies." Whatever. Like I. Every when I have a top ten list, I'm like, wow, that year was great. Uh, yeah. So I don't think I, 2017 is sad. I always dread these more than any other podcast. Well, let me in case you're new to our our yearly uh, list Nightmare. podcast. What this is is we've each come with a, up with a list of our ten favorite movies of the year, and we've ranked them. And we're going to use math to now <laughs> unveil them in the order that they receive points based on how highly they're ranked. Basically, if I pick a movie as my number one movie of the year, it gets 10 points. My number two gets nine points, and so on, down to my 10th favorite movie, it only gets one point. I take those points, and then I add them to whatever points uh, movies have scored from Dingus's list, and then from Kelly's list. And then we read in point order those movies. But this year, we're using software to do that. So we're all going to simultaneously <laughs> discover, I'm not doing the math, Science computers are doing the math, courtesy of a spreadsheet uh, made not for us, but made by and uh, licensed to us, free by the way, by our friend Cynic, a podcast friend, Nick. Uh, so we're just going to go down this list of our our top ten favorite movies. We're going to discuss them as they come up. Then afterwards, we've each got to pick for most surprising movie of the year and most disappointing movie of the year. And then we close it out with the thing that Dingus came up with from from his uh, Academy Awards parties way back when, which was our, our our favorite thingies, I believe it's called. Dingus, did I get that category correct? That category name correct? 
I always call it the best miscellaneous thingy. Right, best miscellaneous thingy. Right, uh. exactly. And we've got a few of those, and we'll close out with that. And then and then we'll finish by reminding you what the upcoming 3x3 three three is and telling you what movie we're going to see next week. So, Wait, let's, do our so yes, Kelly. best miscellaneous thingy usually predict what will win an Oscar for best miscellaneous thingy? Kelly Wand, I don't, I don't <laughs> think I speak for you guys, but I could not care less about what the Academy picks. But I don't even care about what the me. foreign press services pick for the Golden Globes. Yeah, I don't get that either. Why do yeah. we care what a foreign press thinks? Well, these days, uh, I, well, never. You know, Kelly Wong, this isn't politics. Quit trying to make this a, a political podcast. I'm sorry. <laughs> don't, don't you care about what the Academy picks right before they pick the actual thing the Academy picks? Who are you asking? I think it's so. trolling me because the Academy – Taunted La La Land very cruelly last year, if I may say so. Yeah, I did love reading about the the behind the scenes of that situation. (laughs) The guy who was backstage just doing a crap job with his his job, uh, screwing the envelopes up, and poor Faye Dunaway. And he doesn't know how old Faye Dunaway is. He was also like messing with his phone, I think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. That guy's not working this year's Academy Awards. I'll tell you that much. Mm, But but they kept the phone. (laughs) They fired. So just like you won't catch Steve Harvey announcing any more beauty pageant winners. Why? That guy is now our president. <laughs> sad. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, let's get into things that aren't sad about 2017. Now, what I'm going to do, you guys are looking at this page with me. I'm going to click right. in this column, and we're going to reveal the first movie we're going to talk about, I hope. We're oh, going to do Lord. that. Wait, what if it's Dingus's pick? <laughs> what? Is that how? Oh, that's the name of a movie. I thought Dingus had screwed up. <laughs> what the hell is going on? Oh, I okay. thought the form right, had been you. screwed up. It doesn't look like Dingus. What was your tenth favorite? So Dingus is the only one to pick. He this. still didn't do it, right? Or no, did no, he, he did. It, it, it worked out right. It just looks that's wrong. What it's called? Yeah, there's a movie called this Dingus, which will explain a little bit about why Kelly and I are a little taken aback at what we saw. I was convinced something broke. But Dingus. <laughs> oh, I- I see what you guys are confused about. <laughs> yeah, it seems to be working correctly. Dingus, why don't you tell the listeners what your 10th favorite movie of 2017 was? All right. The quote from it would be, once in a while when I wake up, I find myself crying. <laughs> and the name of the movie is Your Name. And the name of the movie is Tom. <laughs> right. Mine's so, Tom, too. So the, so the first thing to be revealed in this list is the title Your Name, and my two co-hosts were like, aha, Dingus didn't put it, I didn't write. <laughs> well, Instead of filling in the name of the title, he, he wrote in Your Name. It had to do with our opinion of the source material, rather than... I don't think either right. of us has seen it, Kelly Wand, it's anime, you haven't seen it. It's anime? Yeah. yeah, that's right, I chose an anime for my number 10 movie of this year. Your Name is this incredible movie, oh man, yeah. I just I am totally uh, crazy about this movie. Uh, it was gifted to me by my friend Chris Markinson, who uh, who you know earlier in the year we were forced by uh, the fact of going through this wonderful thing that we do uh, once a year, which is a um, fundraiser wherein listeners get to choose what movie we're going to see. And by virtue of the fact that Tom read numbers wrong, or I read numbers wrong, or somebody read numbers wrong, uh, we saw uh, an anime called Red... 
Red Rock, Rock Rule, something Red like Red Line. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, it turned out that we weren't supposed to watch that, and then we had to watch Rock and Rule instead, which was also boy. another animated movie. But um, in watching that first anime, I asked a bunch of people, what anime should I be watching right now? I mean, I don't have any idea what anime is. I have no real um, experience with it besides seeing Ghost in the Shell when I was in college and a couple other things here and there. And over the course of the year, and at that time, people kept saying, you should really see this movie, Your Name. And I couldn't find it anywhere um, at the time. And I, I couldn't I, you know, just based on time and whatnot and seeing a movie a week and whatever else, I couldn't go out to see it. But, uh, but Chris sent this movie to me from a birthday and I watched it with my, my son and my girlfriend and her son. And I was totally nuts about this movie. Uh, it's gorgeous. It's like watching a moving painting in some ways. Um, and I chose it as my over for the movie, uh, you know, our over-under, we often do an over-under. Well, we always do an over-under. Uh, I chose it as my over for Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. Uh, because I love that the, the things that this movie does as far as folding time and space um, that The Last Jedi also does. But I think that Your Name does it in a more... Um, passionate and emotional way in a way that the last Jedi is trying to do. Um, I, I just find your name to be this incredible, interesting coming of age movie with time separation and space separation, uh, as this comet is plummeting toward the earth. Um, and the, the, the visual images of the comet coming down through the clouds, um, I, I just can't get over this movie and I'm sorry you guys couldn't have seen it. I don't know that it would work for either of you, uh, because I think you do kind of have a, this thing about, Oh, anime, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I don't know that it would work for you, but I like I know anime. That, I just don't like reading it. Well, and I plus like you, you just got, you just, you were the one trashing Redline. I liked Redline. Yeah, I like I, that qualifies me to watch anime. And besides thing is, I don't accept from anyone. I don't, I don't know anime who's seen a couple of Miyazaki films. I think if you've seen a couple of Miyazaki films, you get a pretty solid understanding of what good anime does. All right. Um, then I think that I think that, yeah, you're right about that. I mean, you're a big Taro fan. Um, I think this might work for you then. Well, uh, yeah, I definitely, you know, if it, if it's the same subject materials as Michael Bay's Armageddon, I'm on board. <laughs> okay. Uh, it is, but uh, I think it's a little more mature. <laughs> Hmm. Uh, I'm, right. I'm crazy about that your name. Mean... Uh, yeah, so that's why it's my number ten. No, it's it's definitely one of the movies that I didn't get to see this year that I, that I want to. Uh, so, all right, Dingus is already lording it over us with movies that uh, that are great enough to be on his list that we haven't why seen. Why didn't Markinson tell us to see it? He did. Dingus He's definitely, he did. Yeah. He did time and again. Yeah. And by the way, uh, Markinson is <laughs> sorry. Uh, uh, we we'll be reading his top ten list later. Just tell us real quick, Dingus. I presume your name is on his top ten as well, and if so, where? Uh, I actually haven't looked at his list. Oh, do you want me to? We, do you, want me to you know what? No, no, look? save that, save that, because well, yeah, you actually do look. I am curious because uh, he's he's certainly how I first heard about it is him mentioning it. Uh, so yeah, yeah. I'd like to. 
Yeah, I mean, the, he's he's really the sole reason that I that I watched this at all. Um, and maybe it's not on his list, by the way. It could just be indeed his eleventh in, favorite. Indeed, it is Chris, on Chris's list. Where is it? How highly did it rank? It ranks number three. What? Wow. All right. Yeah. Uh, huh. Bronze. And that, this is the first time I've seen it. Uh, and uh, the first line of what he says about it is exactly how I felt about it. Uh, I mean, exactly how – I mean, this is one of those things that happens that every now and then, like, Tom will say, just watch this. Don't look at the title. Just watch it. Or let's go to the movie theater and watch this. Or Alexandra will do that for me too. Let's just go and see this thing. And Chris says this. It's so much fun when you can walk into a movie and not have any idea what the movie is about. And that was the case for him with your name. All right. Okay. Next, we're now – so far the software is working correctly. Our eyes were, were a little disbelieving. Let's now see if it's a little more graceful when we do this second one here. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> what's going what? on? Yeah, what, D- Dingus, when are we going to get a turn? Dingus, what's your ninth favorite movie of 2017? And uh, could you quit nesting titles like this? This is very confusing. Sorry, this is a movie called Call Me By Your Name. Unrelated. Unrelated not, to your name. This but is it not is anime. Prequel. Yeah, no, it is not anime. It's anime. It's anime. It's anime. <laughs> The quote, the quote I would say from Call Me By Your Name uh, is, uh, uh, well, if you only knew how little I knew about the things that matter. Um, and, you know, when we saw, uh, what was the movie that had Timothy Chalamet in it? Um, well, he's in Lady Bird as a real Lady Bird. snooty Thank guy, you. and he's not super sympathetic in that. And I, I, was, I was really not crazy about him in that, because he's just this broody sort of um, my so-called life, Jared Leto kind of characters. Like, I'm just going to sit over here and smoke my hand-rolled cigarettes and read my book, and I'm just going to lay back and just be this brooding douche. Um, and I wasn't crazy about him. And, and you, and I think you were a little – you kind of tempered that a little bit with when we, did our late, when we did our Lady Bird podcast. You were a little bit like, well, I think this guy's got some talent for I, – I don't know why you said so. But, um, well, he was getting a lot of acclaim at the time for this movie, also. Which for was Call Me By Your Name? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I didn't know that. And this is a movie I saw really late in the game, but it really, it really knocked me out. Um, it totally surprised me. I was expecting this sort of uh, tedious memoir about a young man learning to accept his sexuality or something. It was. It. It very much felt like it was going to be this gay drama, uh, and it is so much more than that. It is, it is this incredible coming of age, uh, coming into understanding your sexuality in a variety of reasons in sort of a period drama. And he, uh, Timothy Chalamet, is amazing in it. And even more to the point, uh, Army Hammer is fucking crazily good. Um, that guy has been in two um, – he's, he's done two amazing performances this year, and this Great. one – Put him in a Three? sandcastle. There's a, there's a Netflix movie about uh, Iraq called Sandcastle that Army Hammer has a great little part in. Wait, oh, oh shoot. That's Henry Cavill. You know what? You're right. I just realized I was doing that. You oh, my God. You did a gosh. man from Uncle fuck up. Wow, <laughs> I did. Well, that, that's the that's the deal with Army Hammer. For me, he's been like a Henry Cavill substitute for so long. But, yeah, yeah. all right. Never mind. He, he shows up, <laughs> and, I, and I have to kind of – my brain is a little trip. I'm like, who is this guy again? Um, 
but he's so good. He's so solid, and he's uh, he's he just doesn't seem to care how he comes across, which I think is great for an actor. And both of them are that way, um, and they just have this incredibly uh, I don't know. Uh, this incredibly touching relationship in the way that it develops in this push and pull and this anger and, and, uh, um, and, uh, tenderness kind of thing that goes on between them. Because at first, uh, Timothy Chalamet is this, this petulant brat that you're like, Oh God, I can't stand this guy. And army hammer is this brash, intelligent, he's got some humor, but he's also crude and he's, He's just kind of a jerk too, um, but there's this push and pull that goes on within the relationship um, that totally makes sense within the context of this movie, and it comes together in this amazing organic way um, that is just overwhelming, uh, especially because of Timothy Chalamet's central performance. I mean, his performance in this movie is 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 just incredible, and then to cap it all off. Um, Michael Stuhlbarg provides this this moment, with several moments throughout the movie. Every, I mean, the performances in the movie are just freaking phenomenal. It's beautifully written, beautifully shot, um, but the performances within the construct of the movie and how they relate to the relationships in the movie, in particular the way Michael Stuhlbarg creates the father-son relationship, is just breathtaking and that and there's a scene at the end that that is really seriously guys one of the most beautiful and um i don't know one of the most hoped for uh father-son scenes you will ever see in a movie it, it is it is just overwhelming overwhelmingly gorgeous that this the scene between a father and son uh, it's not schmaltzy it's not overdone uh but and that's largely because because michael stuhlbarg knows how to handle it um but this movie just just blew me away and then there's a there's a couple of movies this year that i saw uh especially during the end of the year where it seems like the in the final shot the character is looking right at the camera uh, and I think that's what's happening here. But the, the the sequence at the end of this is one of those, Tom, and you'll understand this, is one of those, um, this, care, this actor can handle the thing at the end of Michael Clayton in the way that George Clooney can't handle the thing at the end of Michael Clayton. Um, it's just, uh, I am overwhelmed by how great uh, Call Me By Your Name is. All right. Uh, I did like Army Hammer in uh, Justice League. <laughs> Kelly Wand, what was your eighth favorite movie of 2017? Get out! <laughs> yeah, get out. Where are my notes? I liked the acting and the premise <laughs> and the main character. How'd you feel about that that uh, that little Howley fella, that uh, TSA comic relief fella? Uh, I try to tune that out, and yeah, I mean, put it this way: when there's some movies that aren't on my list because there was a thing in it that was about that long, but I couldn't get past it, and so it didn't make the top ten list. Right, right. Um, well, I can't imagine that sort of uh, appeal to dumb humor alienating you the way that it does me. 
No, and horror comedy is kind of hard to do. And um, there's some, and it was a memorable movie. Like I really liked the Catherine Keener character in her teacup, and the way it was like a MacGuffin kind of. Like if you break the teacup, you're fine. Okay, let's like, be, let us do be careful about spoilers, though. I mean, well, we, we've already like Dingus already did talk about a last scene and the te- like. We want to, we do want to try yeah, to keep the conversation for folks who who haven't seen some of these. But uh, you're okay uh, though. Go go ahead, Kelly Wand. Uh, well, and also, uh, what's her name? The woman who cries. <laughs> That's not a spoiler. Lady Gabriel. Gabe, Gabriel. Yeah, Lady Gabriel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's amazing in this, isn't she? Yeah. Well, the Keith Steinfeld. Steinfeld. I'm now confusing with Haley Haley Steinfeld. Uh, Lakeith Steinfeld also is really good. Like the 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 smaller parts, and certainly Daniel Kaluuya, that guy. Uh, the smaller parts are real. Like it's a great cast, and yeah. everybody does what he or she. Even like the crazy running outdoor custodian guy. Like everybody that Jordan Peele casts in this fits his or her part to a T, even like the villains and the characters who you think are just like sort of sidekicks or whatever. Uh, it's it's really well cast. Uh, even the yeah. guy who just drove me crazy, he's doing what he's supposed to do. Um, so and, and everybody is pretty notable in it. Yeah. And in, in movies like this, and it's also his first movie, but like I was watching The Room this weekend and you know, authorial intent, I guess, matters somewhat. And Jordan Peele's Get out. Um, there's like it, for your first movie, you would think he's not going to be able to control the tone. Like things are going to be funny unintentionally because he's trying to figure out how to make movies. But I didn't think there was anything in this movie that was not supposed to be funny that was funny. Like everything that's in there that's supposed to make you laugh is, I think, is supposed to be funny. Well, I you. And this is my issue with it, and again, I can't imagine this would bother you the way it bothers me, but you can definitely see his roots in sketch comedy and the sort yeah. of absurdist key and, P, key and peel style skits that they do. That's why you told you sort of told warned me off the movie because you go, yeah, it's like an SNL skit premise, like padded out to feature length. And so I was kind of dubious of it going in. But when I saw it, I, I found myself kind of – I mean, it kind of gets you into the characters that if this it was an actual situation that was really happening. While well, a sketch comedy is just about that, and then there's a punchline, and then it's over. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and again, I, I don't think I would have said Saturday Night Live sketch comedy because that's, that's wretched stuff. That's Key and Peele. Else, yeah. Key, Key and Peele, they do really good provocative stuff, and yeah. I just feel they have great ideas. But the, the easy, low-hanging – fruit that they often go for like like i think that it for instance i saw someone linked to a, a great key and peel skit where uh, a husband is talking to his wife and she's explaining she thinks there's a, a problem with the the computer because the browsing history keeps being erased <laughs> and, and and that's like a great premise and yeah. that's a great joke and they, he turns it into a joke about literally sweat spewing off of each character's forehead. It was like a hose. Uh, like he yeah. takes this really subversive, funny premise and just goes for the really low-brow humor. Yeah, beats in the ground and goes for low-brow humor. Uh, I love that premise, but I, I think that you don't need to push that far for, for the laugh. Uh, well, that premise wouldn't – yeah. And, the TSA, and I, feel, I feel that Get Out is the same way. Like I love the premise of Get Out. Uh, I, I like the tone of it, but – 
I just don't like where he ends up taking it, and I don't like how he resolves it, and I didn't care for his comic relief characters. I just felt that it kind of compromised what I really liked about the horror, which is – it's good horror, by the way. As yeah. someone who sees a lot of crappy horror, yeah, this thing is definitely well worth watching. Yeah. Um, well, I think and it's also, worth watching too, and I, I think it's beautifully filmed, but I did – I, and I, I didn't understand what you were talking about, Tommy, but I, when I was watching it, I just felt like it just devolves into silliness. I mean, are you talking about something like with as far as like the deer head is concerned, that kind of thing? or See, I, I kind of like that just because of the, the metaphorical use of the deer right. and what it, what it stands for and the way that it is used later in the movie. Uh, I, I mean more like this, you know, wacky TSA agent and the whole smack the bitch up stuff at the finale and uh, oh. and how and yeah. it, it's it's also I don't think that it makes as it it's a, it it I don't think it needs to put as on the nose the racial stuff because I think it's there and we can figure that out and I think it just makes it pushing it and making it more obvious I'm not sure really works for me. Uh, I, don't I think know, it just because the main character for me kind of sells it because he seems he seems like the same kind of he has the same reaction you do like really this is what I'm, this is what I'm <laughs> he seems kind of like annoyed and like what come on yeah yeah but they also in- kind of shrug that off do you think that's real they're like oh eh. well I don't know why we chose that uh, you mean the premise of the movie no, I mean the, the, whole, the, the whole the, the, the movie does. Does expect us to believe that these these racists really admire black people? Like, there's no reason they can't be doing this. The the, the only reason that the the events of the movie are focused on black people is because the movie wants to make a social point, and that's fine. Right. Uh, but it's not a really realistic approach for what this actual agenda is. Like, but the, I like. Yeah. The, the movie the movie expects us to believe that that black people are so cool to these to these people doing this thing, uh, when really if somebody had the power to do this, th- that wouldn't be plausible. Like there's no reason they would well, focus it on just black people. They're doing movie. it for the purpose of right exactly. They're, they're doing but it for the purpose of the movie's satire. I really like the notion, and I hadn't seen this before in a movie, which I think maybe is why I'm giving it more props than it than I should. But the idea that it what they aren't that the villains aren't crackers. They're like, they're liberals who found a way to like justify their lifestyle. Like they're, they're like Yankee slave owners, sort of. If they, right. They're, right. they're benevolent racists. Yeah. And that's the whole point is it's yeah. about benign racism. Yeah. Yeah. But also the fact that um, in real life, he's married to Chelsea Peretti and they had a baby together. Like I just couldn't, I was finding just amusement in the idea that like this was based on some trip they took to meet her to meet her oh. <laughs> and so that just seemed funny to me. Right, so I don't know. Right. I mean, I don't know why. I, I, I'm not good at making top ten lists because I just picked the top ten movies I remember the most fondly and kind of reverse engineer why I like. Do you it. like Keanu, the movie that they did? I didn't see a kitten and okay. So I'd be you? curious if that works. No, I don't. Um, it, it's but just, I like this and you didn't, or I liked it more than you. Right. That, well, Keanu is is just the, their humor without any meaningful social context, uh, and I would just I might like. It. I mean, I would judge it based on the jokes, but I do like them. I like Kim Peel. Right. And, uh, All I, right. Well, let's move down the list here. Let's see what else we've got next. <laughs> Dingus, what is your? When can I play you guys? What is your eighth favorite movie <laughs> of 2017? All right, here's a quote from it. Hey, can I tell you a secret? You won't tell anyone? I'm scared. 
so this is from a movie called Lucky. Um, this is a movie that a friend of ours named Bruce Garrick uh, suggested to us. Um, the other well, movie. I, I mean, this also. I mean, I think it's famous for way more than Bruce Garrick suggesting it. It is, but I didn't know that because every time he mentioned it, I just thought, "You mean Logan Lucky?" Uh, I just would make a joke about that. I didn't know what it was. I just went ahead and watched it. And then that's when I realized, oh, my God, this is Harry Dean Stanton's last movie. Um, and it's kind of overwhelming to watch it, uh, knowing that and knowing what the subject matter of the movie is, which is basically a man uh, who lives independent, uh, who's always been an independent kind of dude who lives out in the desert. Um, uh, you know, uh, I off the top of my head, I can't remember if it's Arizona or New Mexico, but basically in that kind of situation. Um, and he's kind of this curmudgeonly dude who lives on his own. He gets up in the morning, he does his yoga, he goes into the diner, and everybody's like, hey, Lucky's here. It's Lucky. Um, and he's this old guy who has always lived alone. He's always lived on his own. He doesn't have any kids that he knows of. Um, uh, and he's fiercely independent, but now he's getting to the end of his life. And he's starting to feel afraid. He's starting to feel afraid of being alone. He's starting to uh, gain an understanding of of what his fierce independence is going to mean for him at the end of his life. Uh, and knowing that Harry Dean Stanton is the one who's playing this, and there's just this raw sense of a lot of the ways that Harry Dean Stanton says a lot of these lines. And it's a beautifully written movie. It's an, I, I just think it's an incredible movie. Uh, uh, it gets a little goofy from time to time because David Lynch shows up, for instance, um, and David Lynch has lost his 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 favorite friend, his companion, who's a tortoise who has escaped. Um, but I don't know. This movie really worked on me, uh, and it really showcases what a talent Harry Dean Stanton was, um, how he could handle so many, uh, so many of the things that a movie would throw at him with such a plum. Uh, it's just a joy to watch uh, from that point of view. So uh, I didn't think it was going to wind up on my list, but as I examined the list and I looked at the different things, the, the thing that knocked off, I was surprised. I thought that, that particular movie was going to wind up on this list. It was on my list very early on, but Lucky kicked it off. Uh, partly say. because no, it was actually uh, one of you will probably talk about it, so I'll mention it then. But I'm not going to mm -hmm. mention it yet. Um, but largely it's because um, because of the performance, because of how Harry Dean Stanton handles himself, and the cast is overwhelmingly great. And it's also directed and written by John Carroll Lynch. Um, and it's just got this really great sensibility to it. Hmm. All right. I didn't know he directed it. Guess I should yeah. see it. Zodiac Killer. All right. Oh. Finally, oh. my turn. Uh, so am I the only one who saw the Florida Project this year? Uh, no, it almost wound up on my list. All right. I really, well, I was, Kelly Wan, uh, I'm really angry at this movie, but go ahead. Did you I get to the see the, the Florida Project? No. So uh, Sean Baker did a movie called Tangerine a couple of years ago, which I really liked. Things didn't care for it. Uh, it had a, a certain bra quality to it. Tangerine, unfortunately, is famous for being shot on an iPhone or actually several iPhones and then edited together. 
But uh, the more important thing I, I feel about tangerine is there's, there's, a, there's a, a raw quality to it, of course. But the improvisational quality, the way that he shoots it through L.A., uh, it, it has an effective, unique voice about people in Hollywood who don't normally have movies made about them. Uh, transgender sex workers, uh, Armenian cab drivers, people who hang out in donut shops. Uh, and Sean Baker culled from this corner of, of Hollywood that nobody thinks of as the actual Hollywood a really cool, focused story called Tangerine. Uh, so Florida Project is his next movie, and what's really surprising to me about Florida Project is it has that same improvisational style as Tangerine, but the mastery that he shows, he's not using any little iPhones to shoot Florida Project. Uh, the visual mastery that Sean Baker uh, demonstrates in Florida Project is really astonishing given how raw Tangerine was. Uh, it's shot in, in Florida, uh, around Orlando, it's kind of like the 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 uh, the surrounding environment of Disneyland, like Disneyland adjacent areas where the the color and the cheer, but not the affluence of Disneyland, have rubbed off. Uh, and there's some amazing sets and visuals, and it's about people who live permanently in a, in motels. Um, you know, they're basically one step above uh, the homeless. And I've seen Florida Project discussed as being about poverty. I'm not sure that I agree with that. Uh, it, it's about people who are impoverished, certainly, but I don't think it's about poverty. Uh, and as a matter of fact, I'm not sure it's necessarily about anything other than being a child. Mm -hmm. uh, what's remarkable to me about Florida Project, uh, I, I love an a director, Steven Soderbergh comes to mind, who can put together really good actors with really good non-actors and create this sort of magical chemistry out of that. And Florida Project, Sean Baker not only now shows that he's got beautiful visual styling uh, with shooting in this area, I guess it was around Orlando, but also working with actors, Willem Dafoe, uh, kids who are way too young to have ever been actors, a young lady who's very famous now named Brooklyn Prince because she's getting a lot of attention from Florida Project, and uh, non-actors, including locals. Uh, his main actress is someone who had never acted before, who he found on Instagram, a woman named Bria Venate. Uh, and she's really good. Her character's awful in this movie. She's one of the most reprehensible people I've seen in a, in a movie all year. Uh, and it's fascinating the way the movie folds her into the action and doesn't judge her, by the way, and asks you to make up your own mind about how you feel about her. Uh, it's a very non-judgmental movie. Uh, Tangerine, by the way, was the same way. Um, so he's he's got this magic of non-actors and actors. He's got this visual mastery in this unique location, and he takes this and creates an almost complete lack of structure. And I love that in a movie. It's got a very like David Gordon Green feel to it, uh, where things just happen. They're vignettes that are tied together, uh, and. It all comes together for me. It's, it, as I'm watching, I'm like, this is just way too loosey-goosey. I'm not going to – but it all – the way that it all comes together is a powerful, confident piece of filmmaking with a unique voice that I just feel really deserves to be heard, uh, Sean Baker as a filmmaker. Uh, I loved that uh, it's just about children, about childhood. You know whether they're poor or not is kind of beside the point, and it's, it's specificity about where these kids grow up uh, is really fascinating. So, Dingus, you said it made you mad. 
Um, yeah, it really made me very angry. Um, uh, partly because it, he fooled me into, I mean, he, he steered me around into grudgingly accepting what a brilliant piece of work it is. Uh, and I, I, I can't believe I missed this connection. I love that you brought up David Gordon Green because there's real George Washington feel to this um, that I didn't even think about. Uh, but I, I, there are so many people I – part of it was I went into it feeling white trashed out because I just sat through another white trash movie kind of – and I and I hated that movie. And I was – I was not a fan of Tangerine. I felt like it was gimmicky, and I, I just didn't care for it. Uh, and watching this, I, I kind of felt like I was taking on a burden. Um, and I didn't like the characters, so many of them. And you're so right to say that it's a non-judgmental movie because as much as you, as much as I, even at the very end, I held on to my, the, this sort of shreds of, I can't stand Haley. I think she's the worst parent on the face of the earth. I don't think the movie necessarily disagrees, by the way. And it's kind of the point of no. the movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It doesn't disagree, but that doesn't mean that, um, it doesn't mean there's a – how do I put this? It doesn't mean that you can't understand how she got there. Uh, the the movie is just showing you that. It's just here she is. You can make your own judgment if you want, if you want to hate her, hate her. Um, but here are things that are happening to her, and here's what she's doing to get by, and here's what's going on with Mooney, and here's what – and, you know, I, I – couldn't stand the kids going and you I mean the, the these little brats running around being jerks and they are not accountable they're unsuper supervised uh they're doing these horrible things and uh, nobody's calling to them to account and their mothers are are acting with total disregard to the authorities over them so of course their kids are going to act that way toward them their mothers lie to everybody and so of course their kids are going to lie to them and the, and the I, I think one, you're projecting too much Haley on the other characters though dingus because I, one I of the really yeah because one of the really early on, there's the the kid whose dad is a gangbanger, and he's yeah. like super strict towards his son, like right. he won't let his son come out. And then the other, and the the waitress who lives above, like the the way that the different parents interact with their children, uh, I, I think is part of the beauty of the movie. And there's a kind of a kaleidoscopic quality to it in that some of them are strict and some of them aren't, and some of them are strict in different ways, and some of them are loving in different ways. Uh, ultimately, it's a movie about Haley and Mooney, of course. They're the, the right. main characters. Uh, but I, I don't think you can be dismissive about all of them as saying you know, that they're all brats and they're not being disciplined. Well, well no, that, I, I, that, that's what I was taking too long to drive to. Is the fact that the, the one the one person that you see the one consequence that you see is that uh, the gangbanger you know takes his kid who's been spitting on the cars and says yeah he's not going to be out for another yeah, week and then, a, yeah. and then he, and then he eventually says yeah he, we're getting out of here we're going back to New Orleans and that's it and, but he's the only male role model other than Willem Dafoe's character other than is it Ray um, who is doing his best to protect and be an authority figure and even when he protects Haley she'll still say like it's about time you did your job I mean there there are so many things that sort of churn my guts as far as a parent is concerned but you're absolutely right there are different ways these different parents show their love and show their compassion for each other and for their kids without being model parents and the filmmaker does this 
shows us this without judgment, which eventually – and this is why I'm angry at the movie is that it makes me eventually love it. It makes me understand it, and it makes – it sort of breaks my heart. Um, it's a really hard movie to watch for those reasons because I want to scream at these people, but they're locked in this particular space. And, uh, you know, whereas at the beginning when Mooney is running around and being such a jerk all of the time, and then you see her in the bathtub, in the bathtub, in the bathtub, and you understand eventually, oh, that's why she's in the bathtub all the time. Uh, I don't, and, and what, happens to her and how she reacts to other authorities as how her mom reacts to them and her bond with it and where she's going to go in this world and how the movie resolves itself. It's, it's just a heartbreaking movie and you're right to call it. You're right to say that the filmmaker understands absolutely how to show us something without making a judgment on it. And I think that that is brilliant. It's also uh, like, it, I, when you but talk it about just it, makes me mad that he, that, that he eventually makes me like it. <laughs> I know that sounds stupid, but it makes me angry that I like it. Hmm. All right, Kelly Wand, would you be angry if you saw a movie called The Florida Project and liked it? Uh, yeah. I want to know what Kelly Wand would think of Haley. <clears throat> Kelly Wand seems like he would have a lot more patience for her than you and I, Dingus. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Uh, but Willem Dafoe is spectacular in it, too. I just – as a – I'm just so used to seeing him as as weird, charming, quirky characters or as villains. Uh, and over the such, top, and he's not over the top. He's so, he's such a kindly shepherd in this. But <laughs> the word shepherd just kept coming to mind for me. Uh, and I also love any movie that lets Caleb Landry Jones show up and not be a weirdo. Just see a normal Caleb Landry Jones is such a nice change of pace. Thank you, Sean Baker, for not making him be a weirdo for once. Has Caleb Landry Jones not been in a movie this year? Wait, has uh, he not? We, oh, you mean has there been one movie with that? I don't has there think, been one independent movie that Caleb Landry Jones – I don't Landry think Jones... he was in Snatched, if I recall right. correctly. So that might be the one you missed right. out on. <laughs> no, he's the guy at the end who uh, points out her boobs out. Right. Good point, Kelly. Yeah, 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 I guess he has been in everything. God, it, it got to the point at the end of the year when he would show up. I was like, oh, okay, fine. Okay, kill Landry. I can check that off on my box. It's like John Denver. All right. <laughs> let's go to the next one. Here we go. Uh, Dingus, what is your seventh favorite movie of 2017? Am I the only one who picked this one? You are. Holy cats, really? Unless the software is broken. All right, so the quote from it, I would say, is I'm fairly confident it's just the gauge, and this is the movie Dunkirk. Um, so uh, there's no other movie I can remember seeing this year that makes me feel the way this movie feels about flying. And, you know, there were a couple of movies this year um, that were just so strong with their um, sound design, especially, uh, and the way that the – but that – combined with the way that this movie layers its sound and its timelines. Um, and the way that Christopher Nolan, I think, is so disciplined as far as how he uh, keeps this movie moving at a really good pace without making it, you know, he covers three different timelines in this particular situation with in, I think it's an hour and a half, basically. 
And this is a movie I went in thinking this is a, a situation. What, what possible drama are you going to mine from? Like, let's get a bunch of guys off of the beach. Um, uh, yeah, I was I was crazy about this largely because of uh, the way that the flying sequences work, the way that the sound works, and the way all of the the uh, the timelines work together. Uh, in addition to sort of the emotionality of what's going on on the boat. So there you go. I can't believe nobody else picked Dunkirk. No, we all liked it. It's just there were ten movies we liked better. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. 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 And I will never get over that sense of doom that I felt the moment he started riding on the on the cockpit with the chalk. Oh, how much fuel's left, right? Yeah. right. Uh. All right. We now have... Uh, Kelly Wan, what's your seventh favorite movie of the year? My seventh favorite motion picture of 2017 is Split. <laughs> My notes say <laughs> McAvoy and something I can't read. Does it are the, is the words Anya Taylor or Joy in there? No, but they should be. <laughs> what about Haley, Lou, or Richardson? Who's that? One of the other cheerleaders? Was it Haley Lou Richardson, one of her little friends that got kidnapped? Oh, yeah, maybe. From Did the bronze? Live or die. Yeah. That's one of her friends? I could be mistaken. I guess that's her. She was in Split, right? Wasn't she? It, and then there was the third girl, who I don't think was anyone famous, right? That was the name, yeah. Yeah, it was Haley Lou Richardson. Yeah. Split's got my she favorite. She was also in a movie I saw this week called Columbus. Huh. Well, she's yeah, she's in a bunch of movies. But she played the titular role. As I was saying. I, I haven't seen it. Dingus will have to field that question. <laughs> he did. Dingus answered in his dingus way. Um, yeah, Split. It's got my favorite opening. It's got maybe one of my maybe my favorite performance. What was the opening of Split? They're at the pizza joint at the party. And she's like, I want to get out of here. This party sucks or something. And so they get in the car. Oh, the Carmen. Oh, yeah, right. I thought you meant like a specific shot or something. But yeah, that's well, that shot hard. too. Yeah, because you see it happening in the background behind right. them. Right. And that's great. That's great filmmaking. Um, and it's like kind of a ballsy opening because the last movie he made was The Visit, which had the it ended with the rapping kid. So you're you're like <laughs> your M Night Shyamalan taste is soured in your mouth going into this, like you better not suck. And then it starts with Eddie. All right, all right, okay, keep going. I'm listening. And then it's a, uh, and then you, you worry it's going to be one of those uh, girl in captivity movies, but then it turns out to be uh, it is a Macable. Yeah, but that's not why it's good. That's right. what makes you go, uh oh, here comes Cloverfield Lane again. Oh boy. Because they all kind of have the same arc, too, because there's the one – because the girl kind of – the girl always wins is usually the thing. So it's like just a waiting for her to finally get her chance, and you know by how long the movie is when her chance is going to come. <laughs> so like you're sitting there. So it's like the, the running time of a movie is a spoiler because if it was 20 minutes long, you'd be, oh, oh, she lives or she dies. But the fact that it's an hour and 45 minutes, you always know. But yeah, it's uh, – McAvoy had like – I think he's supposed to have 23 personalities, and I think we only see like six of them, but they're mm. all pretty distinctive. So, so um, we've got uh, 17 more for uh, the the Shemanalian universe. Yeah, Unbreak 
unbreakable. Unbreakable. <laughs> so uh, yeah, no, I really liked it. I'm a big fan of Split. Yeah, good. Seventh favorite movie of the year. All right, next we have Dingus. What is your sixth favorite movie of 2017? Here's a quote from it. Just take the pain, Martin. You take it. You hear me? It's the only way you'll keep her. Uh, and this is from the movie Wind. Ri- I mean, sorry, Wind River. <laughs> Splight. Um. Uh. I don't know. We did this movie as a podcast movie. You can listen to my thoughts there. Uh, I'm not going to go on and on about. Wait, it. we can do that? Because I'll do that for all mine. No, I'm just saying that um, I think it's a movie worth saying. I think it's beautifully shot. And most importantly, I just I was overwhelmed emotionally by watching this movie uh, in a number of ways. Uh, and I think that though the stories of um, The Will to Survive – uh, cast against the brutality of other of humans toward other humans um, is incredible to me, uh, and also I I I loved the sequence where the guys ring uh, the other guys the security guys ring yeah, around yeah. everybody else and how all that shootout works. I just think it's beautifully done. Um, and I like the way the movie resolves. Yeah. I was pretty crazy about Wind River. It's one of those situations where you're super glad to discover that a good writer can also direct like with Alex mm-hmm. Garland and Ex Machina, this new Taylor Sheridan fella. Yeah. It's like, yeah, Hey, he's, he's got some directing in him as well, as well as some cool scripts. I'm yeah. Sure. It was really a, it was really a pleasure to watch this, um, having seen uh, Sicario. And Hell or High Water. Yeah. All right. Dingus, what is your fifth favorite movie of 2017? <laughs> Again with me? Tom, no. when are you going to get in here? I, I think the – I'm, it, I, I'm one, assuming Kelly and I just picked the same things and, our, and their points uh, added up, and we'll do our movies when you're done, I guess. <laughs> All right. The the quote from it is, um, I think now I want life. Uh, And this is a real surprise to me. I didn't expect this movie to wind up on my list, Um, but it totally rocked me. This movie rocked me. It's it's this movie. uh, The movie's called Personal Shopper. Um, And uh, so, uh, you know, when we watched a movie called Wheelman together, um, earlier in the year, uh, I we tried mean. to, co- I tried to coin this, this, uh, term, which probably has been coined before, uh, of, a, of like a cell phone thriller, uh, that there are specific ways that, uh, cell phone communication, specifically texts or you, know, you can say calls as well, but I'm talking about like when Frank Grillo and Will Mann has sent a text, it's sort of a gambit and he has to wait for something to happen and he's on edge and everything kind of sort of hinges on whether or not this person is going to type back to you. Uh, the personal shopper understands this too, 
the degree and and exploits it to that to a way that is ultimately it's it, it certainly is uh, it, you know if if, Hit, if hitchcock could have played around with a cell phone he would have done this kind of a thing right it's it's unnerving it's it's beautifully unnerving it's it sets your teeth on edge uh, especially for somebody who you know has to text regularly um and has to wait for things to happen immediately to figure out what you're going to do next but for this, it, the exigency is much greater because of what this particular character is going through. So uh, the way that this movie understands how to use that um, is phenomenal to me. In addition to the many other things that are going on in this movie, it's 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 a it's a movie that I think you guys would really like. Have you have either of you seen it? I know the guy. Uh, I've tried to watch. Uh, his clouds of Maria Solnit. No, I've not seen it. And the director, what I did watch of his, I couldn't get through. I'm afraid. Uh, and plus, it's Kristen Stewart, who uh, is to me a minor Snow White. Snow White. Oh, what? That's not what you said then, you <laughs> bastard. No, I never liked Kristen Stewart in that. Dingus did. Oh, okay. No, I'm crazy about her. And I, I will say something that you guys are going to totally scoff at and think is utterly idiotic. And that's fine with me. I think Kristen Stewart is a freaking Marlon Brando. I am <laughs> absolutely, absolutely positive. I mean, I don't care for Brando absolutely. either, so I don't scoff at well, that. I'm okay with that. <laughs> that's fine. Um, the, the first time I remember the first person who was talking to me, it was one of my first theater jobs. And it was this guy named Cliff Moritz who was playing King Arthur in this version of Camelot that I was doing. And he was talking about Brando this, Brando that. And I'm like, I, I'm this college kid. I, I'm, I, what's the big deal with Brando? He just looks like this dope. And the, and the guy is like, are you crazy? He, he's seamless. He is seamless. You don't, you know, he, you might think that he's constantly playing Marlon Brando, but you don't see you don't see any of the there's nothing there other than the character and i think that kristen stewart is basically a modern day marlon brando i know that's going to sound stupid to most people and that's fine with me hang on but i got to email a couple people that you just said that <laughs> go ahead just you know put the cc me on that one kelly one yeah yeah she was, <laughs> go uh, paramount in my number one movie last year uh, and she's freaking phenomenal in this she's amazing she she just gets it she's just there she's totally present in every scene she's in <laughs> and she knocks me out and she's what makes this movie utterly terrifying to me um it's much more effective of a horror movie as far as quote-unquote horror movies are concerned than get out was no I'm, i don't mean to denigrate your pick kelly one because i did like get out quite a bit but this movie terrified me in a totally different way because see of, it, actually because of what she's doing she's she's just there and you don't quite understand what the movie is doing there 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 are a bunch of different things that the movie is doing with her character uh and with the structure of the movie you think it's going to be this story or this kind of story or this other kind of story and it's disturbing and it's driving and the cell phone is a huge part of it um but good lord personal shopper just freaking worked me uh i cannot get over the fact that uh 
I mean, I mean, she's she's got this this quality that's both fragile and strong. Like she's the, she's this formidable character while being so vulnerable. I don't know how she does it. I don't know how she does these things. But um, I've I've I said this back when we watched Snow White and the Huntsman, and I have not wavered since. She knows what the fuck she's doing, and we have to take her seriously because I think she's she's freaking incredible. But the and the movie understands what it has with her. And it structures itself around that, and it creates this amazing, creepy, scary structure uh, based on what she can do as an actress. Uh, I'm, I'm, oh, I am totally freaked out by this movie. It's, I, I don't know what else to say. It worked me. All right, personal shopper, Dingus's fifth favorite of 2017. Uh, my fourth favorite of 2017 is also a horror movie um, with a uh, – it, it's a horror movie that I can completely understand other people wouldn't like. It's a, it's a challenging movie, first-time director uh, – no, second-time director, actually. actually. Uh, a guy named Trey Edward Schultz did a – am I getting his name right? Yeah, but it's spelled – it's not spelled like uh, the Peanuts guy. Uh, did a movie called Krishna, I think, with, a, with an older woman. This is his second movie, a movie called It Comes at Night with Joel Edgerton, Carmen Igcoco, I don't know how to say her last name, uh, and uh, shoot, Christopher Abbott. Uh, and, of course, oh, Dagnabbit. Um, what's the woman from Fury Road and Girlfriend Experience uh, and Logan Lucky? Charlize? No. Oh, my gosh, you guys are terrible. Help me out here. Channing. No, she's awesome. Uh, the girl from American Honey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What's her name? It's, uh, something Presley. Isn't she Elvis Presley's? Thing is, do you really guy? not know? I don't know. Sorry. You saw It Comes at Night. Who was the other chicken that comes at night? I know. I, I really liked It Comes at Night, but I don't remember. Riley right. Keough. Riley Keough. Oh, Riley Keough. Oh, oh, terrible. Right. And Riley Keough. At, at any rate, It Comes at Night is, a, is an example of a horror movie that, that – uh, uses a metaphor and and metaphors are important you know uh monster movies are all good and well but if the monster stands for something uh something you can play with horror in in different i think more important ways so the fact that there's an indeterminate pronoun in it comes at night that's not obscuring anything that's not hiding anything like the movie it follows the fact that this is an indeterminate pronoun in the title is the point of it uh, and it's a movie that when I saw it, when it was over, people were like, oh, there was this audible gasp of disappointment. Uh, and when an audience does that, I think a movie a lot of times is doing something right, which is the case here. <laughs> That's uh, true. But – Yes. <laughs> well, if, I was going to say the reason I think I didn't like this movie as much is because It Follows made me kind of too excited for movies with the word – that start with it. And so then I, when it – What about movies that start and end with it? Uh, yeah, right. So now I know not to be – now I know the rule's broken and it's a cold streak. Well, the thing with It Comes at Night is it's not a rules-based movie at all. It is very – it is rich with metaphor to the exclusion of rules. Uh, if you want to find out you know, who done it, you know, go watch your murder mystery. Uh, that's not what It Comes at Night is about. It Comes at Night is about how you feel after it's over, uh, how you feel about what has happened and why you think it has happened. 
Uh, it's super stylish for a first-time director. This kid did some really provocative stuff with the way he shot it, with some narrative decisions he made. Uh, his his cast is full of uh, just really warm performances that drive home the fact that it's about good people. It's a post-apocalyptic apocalyptic survival story uh, on the surface. Um, and these are really good people in it in difficult situations. Uh, there's a, a book called The Road by Cormac McCarthy. And anybody who's read The Road understands that the just crushing despair that drives that book. And there's a point in that book where they find a cache of underground food. And the palpable relief that you feel at that moment in the road is a super – like it, it's it, it's just a tangible emotion that that book rings from you, this relief for what's happened to these characters. And I felt that way about It Comes at Night when these – these uh, these characters come together and and come to an agreement and like I'd been I'd just been steeped in despair in this post apocalyptic despair watching the movie and there's one scene in the movie that it lets up on that and it lets you feel for the relief and the good things happening to these good people uh, and it, it just reminded me of just being flooded with that kind of emotion reading the road uh, and it comes at night does that for very specific reasons. Uh, and it's not a manipulative movie, I, I don't think. It's not like, hey, we're going to make you like these people and then just make terrible things happen to them so that so that it's horrifying and that you feel a cathartic experience. It's not that at all. Um, I feel that once it comes at night is is over, it has posed a very important question. And it, the, the entire point of that movie is how you feel about that question, which doesn't have a right answer. And that basically that question is – uh, how can you protect people you love and make the world a better place? Uh, and those are those those are two things that you know in in normal day to day life. Yeah, you can do both of those things. Uh, but what if you're in a situation where you had to decide between the world and your family? Uh, what would you do? What would you decide? And it's not glib, by the way. With uh, it's not family like Fast and Furious family. You mean like Statham? Statham's not family. He's a villain. Oh, yeah, he is. He sits villain. in grace. What? <laughs> so it comes at night. As a, as a big fan of horror movies, uh, this is the kind of horror movie that I look out for. This is the kind of horror movie that really gets my attention, and it's why I will watch you know, 100 crappy horror movies is to eventually find ones like this. I feel like They Came Together is my version of that. It has more people coming in it than yours. Does it's also uh, equally mystifying in certain ways, Kelly Wand? Ah, oh, see, now you like ambiguity. Speaking of mystifying, Kelly Wand, what's your fourth favorite movie of the year? My fourth favorite motion picture of last year was the motion picture Mother, because uh, that's a great horror movie to be. It's like a Jennifer Lawrence nightmare movie. Hang on, mm -hmm. let me see my notes. <laughs> I don't have any notes for this. I just really liked it. It's uh. Yeah. It's a metaphor also, Kelly Wand. It stayed – it was another of those movies where everyone cried out in disappointment like on Alderaan at the end of the movie. <laughs> it comes tonight. <laughs> and I went, oh, yeah. Hey, I think there were actually people crying out throughout Mother. Like Mother yeah. alienated people as it went. It didn't wait until the ending. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I really didn't know much going into it too, so I was really excited. Usually, I know more about a movie than I should, and I'd even seen a trailer for Mother, but it's very—it was a very cryptic trailer, and it made it look like uh, 
like Arlington Road or something, like Weird Neighbors kind of movie coming <laughs> bothering you. So I go, oh, it's Jennifer Lawrence getting annoyed by Ed Harris as a neighbor. That'll be interesting. So then I went into Mother not knowing anything more than that. And it was kind of like when I went into Star Wars thinking it was going to be about movie stars. And then when spaceships show up, I'm like, what? Oh, it's that kind of a Star Wars? How exciting. And so Mother was that kind of fun to me. And then, it, 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 I don't know. It's one of those movies, it's, it sort of punishes the audience. And those movies are kind of rare. And especially with this amount of production value and cachet. So I always support those. Um, and I don't think his linkage between Earth and God is necessarily one I share. But as a filmmaking experience, as a sensory experience, and as like Javier Bardem's conception of god i really enjoyed the movie i think it's totally it's great is it's a great Hi, yeah. filmmaking i'm not sure i ever want to see it again but it's i'm great not sure film. i want to see it again either but i'll always remember seeing it it was one of my more memorable movie experiences of the year and those always have to go on my list because one of my boring. uh my, one of my favorite little thingies which i'll go ahead and mention now uh kristen wig headshotting uh, people right. like uh, to the head execution headshots. You're never going to see that again. <laughs> right. Yeah. I never expect that's not something I thought I would ever see. It's not something I would have thought I'd want to see, but yeah. uh, that was really enjoyable. Her headshot executions were something else. Yeah. And just as a, as a, as an experiment, I thought it was really ambitious, like just shooting a whole movie, following Jennifer Lawrence around a house <laughs> and making that good. Um, I don't know. I guess there's I guess if it's her, it's easier. But uh, apparently they broke up, too, by the way, Tom. I'm guessing Mother's the sort of movie, Kelly Wan, that I'm going to watch in five years. And think, hey, hey. No, no, love. Oh, okay. Like, I I'll, I'll sort of yeah. appreciate it. Like, I, I just it, – I saw it, and I really respected it, and I, I think it's a great bit of filmmaking. I'm not sure I need to see it again, uh, but I'll probably forget enough about it but have a little bit more of a sense of what I'm in for in five years, and then I'll just sit down for whatever reason watch it again and uh, be amazed by it. I don't know. We'll find out. It's pretty brutal, um, yeah. and it's not like other movies, and that's another thing that means a lot yeah. with me. yeah. Did you liken Mother to Alderaan? Well, the audience at the end, everyone just went, oh, and way so more – like I did it at the end of the circle on the plane. That's how everyone else felt about Mother. So what would this year's Dantooine be? Uh, this year's Dantooine would be lucky number 11, probably. <laughs> but I'm only going by the first – ah, there we go. All right, Kelly Wan, so speaking of horror movies, this there was my eighth favorite movie. Uh of the year, but it was your third favorite movie of 2017. Oh, Dingus, did you ever get around to seeing Raw? Oh. Uh, I meant to, but it was difficult oh. to do because my kids around all the time. Martyrs 2.0. It it's is part of the this uh, this uh, so there's this uh, idea of French new extremism. Yeah. The idea being that man, the French make some way way out there. Extreme. Take that, Japanese. <laughs> yeah, uh, and this this is an entry in, in French new extremism. Uh, so Kelly Wan, it's a first-time director. Her name is uh, Julia, and I wrote it down because I think it deserves to be pronounced Julia. correctly. Julia Gulia. Uh, Julia Ducournau, I believe, is her name. A uh, uh, very yeah. young, beautiful woman, by the way. She did Q&A when I saw it. Oh. So uh, Kelly Wan, why is this your third favorite movie of 2017? Oh, I love everything about it. I love the ending. I love the performances. I love how I love the way it's paced. I love the way it's shot. Um, 
I love the characters. It's it's a it kind of I didn't see the dinner that you talked about, but it sort of reminded me of that as like there's certain families where you're born to certain qualities, <laughs> whether you like them or not, and it's disguised as a coming of age story. So you think it's Edge of Seventeen for the first ten minutes or so, like oh she's going off to college, and then it, although you have that first shot telling you the very first shot of the movie that it's not going to be what you think. And then uh, it just, it's its mortifying. It's sick-making. It's beautiful. It's a work of genius. I can't say anything. The spoiler rules crippling me. Well, you can say, really? so it, it does it does just play, me. part of the beauty of it is that it does play as a coming-of-age movie for a while, and that's very much what it is, the, the bulk of it. But part of the beauty of Raw is and, and I guess people will have heard of it as being a movie about cannibalism. I mean, there's no other way you can. I don't. I don't think that has. That I even I knew that going in. Uh, is it, it's a movie about cannibalism and it's a coming of age horror movie. So you're probably thinking of something like Ginger Snaps, uh, which was that werewolf movie about two young girls, and it was uses werewolves as a metaphor for for puberty. Um, so you can kind of see where Raw might be going. But what you don't realize is that Raw is going a lot further than that. It's also a movie about uh, sexual appetite. It's a movie about animals, about social acceptance, about, about women's sexuality. Um, I, I find it interesting that Guillermo del Toro's Shape of Water attempts something similar to what Raw is doing, but Shape of Water is a super soft-pedaled, fairy tale, uh, all-is-well quality, uh, in that both movies are about a, a woman who's an outsider grappling with her sexuality and her gay friend uh, and how his sexuality might be related and a third party, some sort of monstrosity represented in Shape of Water by a creature from the Black Lagoon. Raw has the same kind of structure going in a way, but Raw super R-rated and it's clearly part of French New Extremism as far as horror goes. Um, it's so, and I'm a tough room, so that means it's a good movie. Uh, I, I think that I, – I also kind of hate that like, – it doesn't shy away from anything like gross or graphic or, or, or violent. As a matter of fact, it's kind of important to know. It's set uh, in a, a veterinary school uh, – in, in a school for, for young veterinarians. Um, so there's – it's not graphic or anything, but there's a very dispassionate scene of a, of a horse being intubated in a class, uh, which is really weird and uncomfortable to watch as this horse is being injected with ketamine, as it faints, and this, the students sort of wrestle it to the ground, as they clamp its jaws open and then intubate it and, and basically just grab its tongue like it's a big rag to pull it out of the way. Um, that, and it, it, there's something just really – grotesque and uncomfortable about that uh and partly because it's a real horse i mean you're not seeing any special effects here nothing terrible happens to the horse uh it's all very humane but but actually watching a horse being intubated he doesn't know what's going on (laughs) well and it's it's not something that you see very often it's not something that's very comfortable to watch like it's and and these are students watching it done so there's something else going on in the scene there's a conversation going on and the fact that we're watching this scene and that you feel uncomfortable watching a horse you know a huge beast like that being intubated that's kind of important i mean that that sets the tone that sets the tone for for what you're going to be sitting through 
Uh, and it's not just, hey, here's gross graphic special effects of cannibals. It's, it's nothing like that, by the way. Like there's nobody – there's no there's no like Night of the Living Dead. Night of the Living Dead is far – black and white, far more lurid in terms of graphic violence than anything in Raw, I'll say. Yeah. Uh, but the stuff that is in Raw is very personal, very direct, uh, and very uncomfortable. Um, I, I really love movies, especially ones that end with a scene where one character is comforting another and then suddenly – Kelly, you're, I think there's – what? Yeah, all right, all right. I'll things. shut up. I'll shut up. I'll shut up. Yeah, because that's another thing is the ending. Like it, it, a very important thing that horror movies need to learn to do is end, and Raw knows how to end. Like yeah. Raw has in mind – I'm convinced that Julia Ducarneau exactly knew the scene that the movie would end with from the moment she started writing it uh, because I think it's the point of the movie. Uh, and, and I would say and, the same, by the way, about it. It, it comes at night. Uh, is it? Is it any time you see the final scene of a movie? And this is really hard to do with a horror movie, where hey, once you show the monster, it's just going to run around and kill people, and the movie's over. But if you have in a horror movie a last scene that breathes new meaning into everything else you've seen, I think you're doing a great job. And I think Raw does that. When you have a when you're when the shots on a character's face. And you have another character saying something, and the, the the expression of the person hearing what they're hearing is the same as yours. Like, wait, what? You're saying <laughs> what to me? I love that in movies because it doesn't work in any other medium like that. Because it's like it's putting you in her place, and you think it's one kind of scene. I don't know. I'm also, too much. Uh, the the actresses, uh, spe- specifically a young lady main, named uh, Garance Marillier and Ella Rumpf, they play sisters. Uh, and it's a movie about sisters, too. It's just a, a beautiful story yeah. about sisters. There, there's a great moment, and this is like one of these non-fake physical gestures, where uh, the, the younger sister is putting on a dress that she's borrowed from the older sister. And she's she's you know bending over and putting the, the dress on over her clothes to make sure that it fits. And to keep herself from falling over, she just reaches out to grab the nearest thing so that she won't fall over. And it's her older sister standing there. So she grabs her older sister's arm just so she, she won't fall over while she's getting her leg in the dress. And her older sister, the actress doing it, just takes her hand and just pushes it away. Like, don't touch me. <laughs> like, yeah. it's such a great, honest moment. And I remember the director saying during the Q&A that she told Ella – the actress who pushed the hand away, who plays the older sister, uh, treat uh, Garance like her body is your body, and you can just do whatever you want with it. Uh, uh, so the, the physicality between the two of them is really good as well. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. All right. So, Kelly One, I'm so glad you liked that. Uh, is oh, it yeah. a Dingus movie? Should Dingus see it? I don't know. He tricked us with martyrs, cause, uh, <laughs> but I was the one who believed in Dingus. Dingus uh, should see it. Uh, he, he should see but it. But I feel like we've already ruined it for him. Like we, it's only fun if we just, hey Dingus, you'll like this, and we you don't tell him what it is. But I guess it's a title that would make him suspicious. I uh, yeah yeah. This thing right now, because maybe we could still trick him. Uh, Dingus, it's a heartwarming coming of age movie. You should check it out. Yeah, it's Edge of Seventeen. <laughs> oh sorry, have you have you guys been talking about something? Yes. Yeah, I'm I my it went blank for the last few minutes. Dingus was trying to finish uh, Under the Skin the novel, and he wasn't listening. My third favorite movie of 2017, Dingus's fourth, and Kelly Wan's sixth favorite movie is Atomic Blonde. Uh, now, we um, – okay, okay, well, well, we'll go around the room and say a little bit about it. Uh, after John Wick, John Wick is directed by two guys, a 
honestly don't remember the first guy's name, but the second guy is David Leach. He went on to do Atomic Blonde. The other guy went on to do John Wick Chapter 2. Um, <clears throat> I was convinced I didn't want more story with my John Wick. That I just wanted my cool action scenes. But then David Leach did Atomic Blonde, and now I know I was wrong. What I wanted with my John Wick was a classic Cold War spy yarn set in the <laughs> 80s. It's sort of an 80s period piece, too. And instead of Keanu Reeves, it was Charlize Theron. And by golly, that's what I got. So, uh, man, I loved Atomic Blonde. I've seen it three times. I just love how stylish and energetic it is. I love how it moves. I love how layered it is. Um, I love how confused I was when I first saw it, but how seeing it successive times has sort of lifted that confusion. Uh, and I just love Charlize Theron as an action hero. Um, she's just impeccable. So it was my third favorite of the year. Of the year. Dingus, what made it your fourth favorite? I love how brutal it is. Yeah. Uh, one of my, my favorite quotes from that is, uh, these relationships aren't real. They're just a means to an end. And the, the fights in this movie... Um, they just feel, I mean, I often use this term, this blunt force trauma kind of feel to it. And I just feel like that when she's doing these fights, you can feel everything hit. It just feels like so, oh my God, I feel like I'm being punched. Uh, I just, I love that. I love from the moment of that first sequence where the car goes over and then it and it resolves with a joke you know you know i'm just getting your shoe for you thing and then getting up to that apartment and just beating each other with whatever we can find to hit each other with uh and it's just it just feels like you're being bludgeoned by the movie and it feels like charlie's theron can handle every single bit of that and she she's like bring it on I will, I will take all comers and I will, uh, you know, if I have to use a fire hose or a hose or whatever to get out of this, I'll do it. Uh, you know, you just, I love that sense of a character who understands that physically anything in this room is a weapon. And when she's sitting in that interrogation room, you understand that she has that same mentality when she's using words and that, that that's what I love about this movie. It just it feels it feels like it is nonstop for that reason, and it's largely because of her. Kelly, one, what made it your sixth favorite movie of the year? Uh, it had an amazing sense of place, and it's why I think it's a good example of why superhero movies suck. Is like you just see a bunch of idiots in those dumbass costumes and you can tell that they can barely move in them and so they're just using CG and editing to make it look like they're really fighting and you compare that to the fight scene in this like about two thirds of the movie between Charlize and that one dude uh, it's just ways it's just so much better um, and also the implication that Charlize Theron and had sex with John Goodman's character I thought was well handled <laughs> I saw you must have seen a different cut than I did. Yeah, uh, well, I think a lot of the credit for uh, the the brutality of the fight scenes goes to David Leach being a stuntman for yeah. Keanu Reeves before he became a director, and that clearly shows in John Wick and in this. But also the credit goes to Charlize Theron's physicality and the way yeah. she vocalizes that physicality. Mm. Like she, as an actress, knows 
the power of her voice and the noises that an actor makes, uh, as well as it's part of being expressive physically. Uh, yeah. And I just love how vocally expressive she is during the fights with the grunts and the screams. Uh, and exhaust. And and she's not she's not a John Wick boogeyman either, by the way. She gets her ass kicked. Like this is this is a movie where, you know, Dingus, you mentioned feeling the punches. The movie also shows the punches. You know, that first shot of her yeah, bruised in the tub, um, you know, she wears those punches as well as inflicts them and receives them. Yeah. But she also uh, carries them with her. I mean, th- there's a there's a specific thing that actors some actors can do and some actors can't, and that is carry their pain throughout the course of the movie. And that's a really difficult thing to do because movies are shot out of sequence. And she carries that pain in specific ways after those fights. And I love that about her. And also some, uh, I normally, well, even before Split, I only found him annoying. After Split, I really liked James McAvoy. So it was it was fun <laughs> to, to it, it enjoy him as an annoying character in a as a, in a post annoying situation, like I appreciated James McAvoy, and now I could appreciate an, finding him as an annoying character, uh, which he kind of is in, in uh, Atomic Blonde. Of course, uh, a little Sophia Boutel goes a long way. We got a little Sophia Boutel in that. Um, yeah, it's nice to see Michael <laughs> Michael Sarsgaard without the clown makeup. Eddie Marzen, of course, John Goodman, Toby Jones, uh, yeah, great cast, uh, and the and. I can't, you know, it sucks being old, but one of the things that doesn't suck about being old is that music from way back when you were young, it's got to be super cheap to license this stuff, and it just has that much more weight when you hear it in a movie. <laughs> so I loved yeah. hearing those 80s pop songs uh, in, in Atomic Blonde. So Well, that is what the spies of the time had to listen to. At East Berlin Forum, yeah. Right. So miserable. Uh, all right, Atomic Blonde. Uh, finally, something we all three liked enough to put on our list. Uh. See if we can continue that trend. <laughs> nope. My tenth favorite and Kelly Wan's second favorite movie. Dingus didn't care for it enough to put on his list. What? Kelly Wan, what's your second favorite? Not quite good enough to be number one, but number two. It made it to the top of my list. What is it, Kelly Wan? Well, Thor Ragnarok, obviously, was the second greatest film not just of the year, but in history. In history? Well, wait a minute. <laughs> Thor Ragnarok. That's like, I, that speaks very highly of your number one pick, whatever that turns out to be. Okay. Uh, oh, it's so good. And then, I don't know. I was it, This one was kind of circling around my most surprising candidacy, just because I didn't really care for the second Thor movie at all, and the first Thor movie I liked chunks of, but I wasn't... Was it going into a third Thor movie with anything remotely resembling excitement? And then the second it started, and I, I in the 80s music started playing, I went, oh, they're going to flash Gordon. I just got more and more excited. And it's the movie that kind of ruined Episode Eight for me, because Episode Eight sort of starts like Thor Ragnarok, and then it kind of fizzles out. After oh, it does, right, right. You might be tricked from too, in too much enjoyment of Thor Ragnarok into thinking that Ryan Johnson is going to do something with a Star Wars right. movie. Yeah, I think he's going to Thor Ragnarok Star Wars. <laughs> and he doesn't. And now I'm bummed because I think I think the rest of them, like Black Panther and all these other Marvel movies, aren't going to Thor Ragnarok either. And maybe Thor won't even Thor Ragnarok anymore. And so I'm, I'm kind well, of scared for the future of superhero movies because Thor I, Ragnarok's... I was with you, Kelly. I, I was pretty much done with goofy Marvel superhero silliness like and and i i think uh age of ultron kind of broke my heart yeah Um, but but 
I wasn't done with Taika Waititi's sense of humor. And I think that that is really what – this isn't a Thor movie to me. It's a Taika Waititi movie. It's this guy being mm-hmm. handed Thor and being left alone to do what he wants, to give it a sense of humor. And uh, Spider-Man Homecoming was very similar to me with John yeah. Watts. Like I was over – Goofy Marvel superheroes, but let John Watts do his fun stuff with kids goofing around like he did in Cop Car and do it with a Spider-Man movie, uh, and it worked for me. So Thor was was, uh, that same kind of thing is I feel like because it's not a Thor movie and instead it's a Taika Waititi comedy, uh, it's a director with a voice and a tone being allowed to do what he wants with a franchise, and one of the last times we saw that – also, we got Guardians of the Galaxy with James right. Gunn. Um, yeah. It's also – it's got a great villain as a script. Mm-hmm. It's really well-written with a well-earned uh, twist and finale, I, I think, yeah. and I really respect that. Uh, yeah. It's ballsy. Yeah. And like and even it, Spider-Man – well, go on. What were you going to say? No, and it, well, go ahead. Even Spider-Man. What? Yeah. Well, even Spider-Man in the last third, I think ha- – like goes okay. We're we're a comic book movie. There's certain things we have to do. Right. We have to have this showdown, and we have to have Spider-Man do something uh, selfless and go. No wait, I want to save you after all. Come right. back. But Thor Ragnarok never stops giving. Like yeah. all the way, even up to the last Easter egg. Like those Easter eggs we're kind of sick of, and that last one's so great. It's so funny. Um, I don't know. Just it never gave up. And it was such such great value, Thor. And and also, like Guardians of the Galaxy and like um, uh, Avengers, uh, it's it's a great ensemble cast. Yeah, you know, it's a Thor movie clearly, and Chris Hemsworth anchors it just fine. But uh, so much of it is is like I never would have expected. I wanted that much Jeff Goldblum in my superhero movie. Yeah, there was just the right amount of it. This woman Tessa Thompson was great. The Mm -hmm. villain, you know, Kate Blanchett as the villain was great. Um, the Mark Ruffalo was a little weird, but it was funny. He had some funny lines. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is weird that it's nothing like their relationship in the other movies, but that's the whole movie. Like you just have to sort of like start watching it with that. Like this isn't the same. These aren't the same characters you've seen before. They're better. And so from now on, they're this cool. And I even for a while thought I was getting some Reese Darby. You know, until the movie was over, I, I thought I was also enjoying a little Reese Darby voice in there as well. No, that's Jumanji, Tom. <laughs> that's for, that's why we we uh, that's why he couldn't be the voice of that rock creature in Thor Ragnarok is because he was doing Jumanji. They even call, Stan Lee is referred to as creepy in Thor Ragnarok. Like that's how. <laughs> Picture that happening in a Warner Brothers DC. What was his part? He cuts the he does he's the hair he's the barber and yeah he cuts Thor's okay. hair. You know what that I'm okay yeah yeah right I, now now do Tom Hiddleston right that, that's yeah, awesome. I'm okay with that. creepy old man cut my hair yeah <laughs> that's what a Marvel movie is now that's so great I don't know Kelly Wan remember when one of the Amazing Spider-Man movies was your favorite movie of the year? Well, because it was. I laughed as much during Amazing Spider-Man, maybe more, than I did during Thor Ragnarok. All right. But not as much as I did during The Room. Okay, what? All right. Uh, next, Kelly Wan, your ninth favorite movie is my second favorite movie. We're almost completely inverting them. Uh, uh, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Kelly Wan, I'm glad you got to see this. We did, did. the podcast uh, while you were unavailable. So, uh, um. Yeah, this was my second favorite of 2017. Um, Martin McDonough's 
uh, script and direction. Um, I think why it means so much to me. It's first of all, it's it's a, it's 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 a beautiful piece of work. It does things that you don't. It, it's very unmovie like. Like it's very much structured, like a play might be structured. Uh, things happen, and you're like, wait, wait, that's not what a normal movie would do. Uh, and right. I admire that about it. Uh, I, I, I think it's especially relevant uh, as we here in the United States are really dealing with the fact that a quarter of our population decided to kick this this country into the trash. They were ignorant. <laughs> they, they acted so, out of uh, hatred and stupidity. Uh, they were – they were uh, tricked by social media. They fell prey to just just idiots. A bunch of idiots took control of our country, uh, and that is something worth being angry about. And a relevant question now is what do you do with this sort of justified anger? Can you do anything with it? Um, and I, I, that, that's a relevant question to me as an American, and that's not – what three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri is about specifically the, the Trump administration, but it is specifically about what do you do with justified anger and how careful should you be with it? Um, how much should you allow it? How much should you indulge it? Um, and I'm not sure that it has a, a happy ending, by the way. Right. Uh, I'm not sure that it has a good answer. Um and I'm not sure it prompted me to do a, a three by three on uh, redemptions because I don't I don't find any redemption at the end of three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Right. Uh, and I think that's an important part of the, what it's trying to tell you. I, I think. Um, yeah, that is a great ending, and that's actually when I decided it had to go on my list because I was sort of going up and down on it while I was watching it, and mm-hmm. then it went right. Ah, oh, that ending's too. It's too good. Uh, and I yeah. I love how it, you know, sets up characters as villains or heroes and alters that in very subtle ways. Uh, a lot of great monologues. A lot. Well, he, the man is such a gifted writer. I mean, I've, I've really got to see Seven Psychopaths again because, I mean, we all know Imbruge uh, is a work of genius. Uh, I think this is right up there with Imbruge. So I, I need to go back and find out what, what what was going on with Seven Psychopaths. Is there are there nuggets like in Three billboards in seven psychopaths anywhere. I don't remember them. I don't either. Um, but there's no characters like Francis McDormand's character in that, who's just like right, right, enraged. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I'm not convinced she's a, a necessarily a good guy either. When Dingus, well, so I no. mentioned this on the podcast. When Dingus and I saw it, there was a, a woman behind us during one of the moments said, "I just love that woman." And she'd just done uh, something that I thought was terrible <laughs> that right. you're not supposed to love. Um, she does a lot of horrible things. Yeah, yeah. Like there's, and so do the other characters. <laughs> it's it's definitely about a kind of gray morality and uh, yeah. Dinklage. I like movies where Dinklage gets to say gets to use his American accent. Like it's annoying to have to listen to him be British all the time in Game of Thrones to me. Yeah, I, that's I, yeah. It's nice to not. What else is he British in besides Game of Thrones? Uh, nothing. <laughs> All right, Maybe so three, nature. three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. It's my second favorite of the year. Kelly Wan's ninth. Uh huh. There we go. Next, we have uh, Kelly Wan. It was your and my number five favorite movie of the year. Dingus, what was your second favorite movie of 2017? 
Uh, we recall with our feelings. This is from Blade Runner 2049. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, this movie really worked on me. Uh, I, I watched probably about the first hour of it again today. It's all about time ahead. And um, man, I, lo- I love <laughs> I love the fact that he gets to have a scene with Drax. I just wish that Drax had been there for longer. Um, I, I am so pissed at myself for not going back to the theater and seeing this again because basically I only saw it once in the theater and I'm really pissed at myself uh, it just I found this movie to be just the perfect way to do a sequel to one of my favorite movies of all time uh, it's 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 beautifully realized it's beautifully shot and I love the way that the main character um develops throughout the course of the movie in the way that the movie uh, the way that the movie focuses on the fact of of what it means to be uh alive what it means to be a being i i i'm trying to avoid the word human uh, because of what it means within this universe but basically it's about humanity and 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 what that means launching off of that previous movie that meant so much to me uh i love where it goes i freaking love harrison ford in this i love the production design of las vegas and overall of the movie um i i'm I'm just nuts about this movie, and if I could go see it in a movie theater tomorrow and I had the time to do it, I would do it. It, it, It's one of these movies that is incredibly long and I wish were longer, or I wouldn't mind if it were longer, because I think it earns every single minute. Uh, Yeah, I'm crazy about this movie. Uh, I love a science fiction movie that shows me things I haven't seen before because that's something that all science fiction should always do because it's something that only science fiction can do in in a way. Uh, And Blade Runner 2049 just did that. There are scenes in that. I was like, how did he come up with that? You know, what am I looking at? Just crazy stuff like like Neander Wallace's little floaty eye stones, for instance, just these weird visual Mm. touches that Hampton Fancher's script uh, Denis Villeneuve's direction and certainly Roger Deakins' uh, cinematography gets credit for it. Uh, just, just unique touches like that, like so much science fiction. And Blade Runner is partly guilty for this, by the way. So much science fiction is derivative and inspired and cookie cutter. Like all science fiction movies draw from the original Blade Runner, not all, but so many draw from the original Blade Runner. The original Blade Runner basically was a template for science fiction for 30 years uh, and for the sequel to then again create entirely new things. I, I, in a way, I'm secretly glad it didn't do well because I don't need other movies to rip this off for another 30 years. Uh, I, I kind of like that um, I'm okay with uh, leaving it as a, as, a, as a critical hit and not a commercial hit. 
Mm. I, I don't need people copying stuff out of Blade Runner 2049 when, for the next But thing. when they do that, when they emulate movies like that, they always take the wrong lessons anyway, though, so I'm kind of bummed it didn't do better because then they'll go, yeah, see, you got to really make it just like the first movie, and that's why that's why that movie failed. Like, that's what I, I think they're going to – that's what the perception is going to be. Well, I'm well, bummed it, for the point of view that Denis Villeneuve should be given every opportunity to do anything he wants to do. And that's why I would want it to be successful. Yeah, yeah. I think he's doing okay. Yeah, like I'm. Like I think he's he's do. Is he doing this? He's not doing the, the Sicario sequel. That's right. Um, yeah, I would hate to think that it that it does affect his Hurts career him. or certainly Hampton Fancher as a writer. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. But just um, the idea that that, that this guy, uh, <laughs> given what we've seen that he's done and the things that we've loved that he's done did this and was able to do this at this length of movie um is phenomenal to me and i i just want that guy to be able to i want to see anything he does and i i don't want him to be hindered by the fact that a lot of people couldn't see it because you know for various reasons i mean the the property the age of people going to movies today, the length of the movie and how it could be scheduled, whatever other factors that kept it from making a lot of money. I just want Denis Villeneuve to be able to make whatever movies so I can see them. All right, Dingus. Dingus is asking for more movies like Prisoners. All right. That's <laughs> enough out of you. <laughs> uh, I, I do love, too, that um, it, it it's in the tradition of – of noir and it, basically yeah. there there are no action scenes in. i mean there, there's some action right there, there actually is no action this is a movie about a guy doing research about a guy like it's like a chinatown like yeah. situation there's a mystery yeah. and it's about a guy doing an investigation you're watching ryan gosling investigate and that's a that's the tradition of noir like really good noir does that um and struggle and fail a lot yeah yeah uh, well, and I, I love how it, and that's that's in the tradition of noir as well. But I love how it also flips the script on noir, where the detective finds that he's at the heart of the mystery. You know that right. somehow the mystery is in his heart, and because uh, that's what noir is. It's if you investigate a mystery and then go back to your office and you're done, that's just a detective story. But if you investigate a mystery and then you get blackmailed and beat up and you have an affair with the femme fatale. Uh, in the course of it, then it's noir. This kind of flips the script on on that, where you expect there's going to be some revelation about identity, just like in Blade Runner. And I love how Blade Runner 2049 inverts that to to wonderful effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Dingus, I'm with you. I, you know, I'd like me some Harrison Ford, not as much as you goofballs who want to give the guy Academy Awards every year. But seeing seeing Harrison Ford, just what Hollywood he's done, <laughs> what he's done, yeah. What he's done with his hand solo in Force Awakens and now is Deckard in Blade Runner 2049, uh, I'd forgotten watching it that you do get – well, I, I love what he gets to do in this, uh, and I love watching him. And just as an actor, I really enjoy watching Harrison Ford act in Blade Runner 2049. Um, it's it's cool to see more of the Blade Runner world like I really would have expected him to go – I thought it was going to be more like Ghost in the Shell, which just basically takes Blade Runner's L.A., it just basically copy and pastes it. Uh, yeah, speaking of things that. being inspired by Blade Runner, yeah, right. And the, and this movie does way more than that. And it just like it's Vegas and everything. Like you get a whole sense of the entire world. And 
I don't know. That's that's really cool. Which, yeah, yeah. Just as a, a building out that world building. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's and it's decades later, so it's it, it makes sense that the tech would be better and it would look more CG, right? right. <laughs> as opposed right. to the Star Wars prequels. All right, so uh, Blade Runner 2049, we all quite like that. Uh, Dingus is number two of the year. It's my fifth and Kelly, my number five and Kelly Wan's number five movie of the year. Only two movies we all picked so far. So far? But Kelly Wan's favorite movie of the year, I only thought it was number nine. Kelly Wan, what's your favorite, favorite best movie of 2049? I'm sorry, 2017. (laughs) Oh, that's so cute that you did that. It's like a your name 2.0, right? Um, no, this is this is the greatest movie. It's the best use of John. There were three movies with John Denver this year: Kingsman, Alien Covenant, and Free Fire. But Free Fire was the one that really stuck out for me as the best use of John Denver and the best sound design I heard. Kelly, that's a pretty low bar to clear. Uh, yeah, but it really clears it. Like it doesn't just squeak by, like right above grazing the touch of the pole. <laughs> It just flies stratospherically over it. And I love the dialogue. I love how the dialogue in the movie is like the bullets. Like you just hear random shit in the back of the crowd going like, fuck you, Frank. Like the way these characters talk to each other. And it's the best Henry Cavill performance uh, I think I've ever seen. <laughs> He's so really good. good. Henry Cavill is so much fun in this. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it really just, is for the, the genre of thugs in a warehouse. Because that's a thing, I guess. I thought that was mined out. <laughs> Right, you would think, yeah. yeah uh, but definitely. Amy Jump and Ben Wheatley, uh, the two of them, and they, they gave us High Rise the year before. Uh, they are on an incredible streak, uh, just their sense of black comedy. Um, and yeah, Kelly Wan, you talk about the dialogue being like gunfire. What I like in this is the gunfire, just the yeah. chaotic nature of people firing <laughs> guns. It is so not Hollywood. It is not slick and sexy and cool no. and, and then thrilling. It's like, oh my God, duck. You know, it, it, These it's are just, real bullets. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, don't fuck you up. The characters don't always seem to – it's like they can't quite believe it's happening. Either. They almost – like they're, they're in over their heads, but it takes them a while to realize it. Well, it really does show you, yeah, like when you shoot or get shot at, it hurts. It's not, it, it hurts and it's scary and it's bewildering and it's loud and you don't know where it's coming from. And to put that into your thugs in a warehouse genre uh, is a pretty bold choice, I think. Yeah. 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 And having to use such shitty cover options geographically. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, and just there's nothing I didn't like. I'd like some of these, some of my movies on my list. They're there because they're in the order they are because the ones that are lower ranked have something in them that annoys me. But Free Fire had nothing in it that ever annoyed me. Like I was with it the entire way from the first line to the last. It was great. Yeah, I can't think of anything that annoyed me either. Yeah, it's just so memorable. And just I was so glad I saw it in a theater. Um, oh, that talking about sound design, like Ding- yeah. Dingus mentioning Dunkirk, of course, uh, but you wouldn't expect something like this would really take advantage of uh, theater sound system. Right. Yeah. And I was, yeah. I was ex- from the, I saw that this is one of the times where the trailer helps because the trailer made it look like a way shittier movie, and it looked like, uh, or not necessarily shitty in this sense because it's not that it's not like a bad movie. But what's the Gosling Russell Crowe movie? The Nice Guys. Nice Guys. Right. Yeah. Easy ones. This, nice Guys. Yeah. Right. 
the trailer for this looks like that. Like it's all wacky and like, oh, it's like lots of, lots of quick talk and Brie Larson's going to be say some sexy things. And so I thought it was going to be that kind of movie and just walking. I walked through the cold, freezing Hamburg wind, like just ugh, and finally got there. And then I got to sit through this. Like it was like just me and like two other people in the whole theater. And it just sounded like I was in the warehouse. It was great. <laughs> That's all right. Free Fire, that's Kelly Wan's favorite movie of 2017. It's my ninth favorite. Yeah. All right, here we go. Next, we have my number one pick, uh, Dingus's number three pick. So, also, as far as being over superhero movies, uh, when I say I'm over goofy Marvel movies, I kind of mean most of them. Uh, Mm. But what what I really, what what just really just hammered me with Logan was when you can take mythology that i that i kind of know a little bit about but couldn't care less about and that's x-men could not care less about x-men and when you rework that mythology into something timeless that to me is stunning work and it's what nolan did with uh, dark knight like batman whatever i don't care about batman and he, he he made dark knight into something timeless using batman mythology um uh, James Mangold has done that with his writers with Logan. He's reworked this goofy X-Men mythology, and they're of a piece to me. Wolverine and Professor X and who are the other X-Men? I don't know. Anna Paquin, whatever. I couldn't care less. They're all of a piece. Um, even though I have liked some Wolverine stuff, I couldn't care less about any of it. But when James Mangold uses it to make a story about a man's midlife crisis and 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 where a man fits in the generations and how uh you know how you look out for elderly parents um and and just this idea of fighting your younger self like uh that james mangold has crafted that out of x-men mythology is incredibly moving to me and he's furthermore done it in a movie there's all these other parts to logan like logan is not simple it's a many splendored tale uh the 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 bit with the the domestic relationship that he's got with caliban early on where it's like his wife uh the episode of the farmhouse as this terrible inversion of shane Um, you know meeting his younger self the the world building of the future the way he's dismantled x-men mythology and sort of destroyed it what he does with this idea of senility you know, losing not just your physical health, because that's what Logan exemplifies in, in the movie, but a senility and losing your mental capacity and seeing that happen to Patrick Stewart's character. And physical capacity in Logan's. Yeah. That's what I'm saying is that, that that represents for Wolverine, that represents like losing your physical capacity. But there's also a lot about senility and the horror of senility uh, in Patrick Stewart's character. Um, and, and then to furthermore put this, I love seeing just little kids kicking ass like like. Chloe Moritz Grace and Kick-Ass, I got so much goodwill for, for that movie, even though most half of that movie sucks. Half of that movie is terrible. But I just loved watching this idea of this just R-rated action sequences with this badass little chick in, in Kick-Ass. And that James Mangold put that into this movie with Daphne Keene, this R-rated uh, action sequence stuff with her. And she's amazing. Her physicality in that is great. Um and I, it's a real gift for me too. And this is one of the reasons my favorite movies of the year. I just love being able to 
I loved not knowing that she was going to be a part of Logan. I loved getting to go see this movie and not knowing it was going to be about him and a little girl, having no idea it was going to bring up this idea of this Agent X-27 character from other Marvel stuff. I didn't know that was in there. So that when you first see Daphne Keene and her mom, you're like, oh, he's going to save this family. And the mom's dead, and you're like, oh, wait a minute. There was a little girl. Oh, now he's got to protect a little girl. And then when her claws flip out, I just about flipped like that right there. I was just like spinning circles of delight. Like when you first see what she is, who she is, uh, it was just an amazing movie moment for me. Uh, I love Daphne Keene. Love, I've always liked Hugh Jackman, and it's great to see him get to do stuff like this. It's great to see a superhero movie where the superhero has blades in an R-rated context. Right. And, and getting to cuss, by the way, like getting to drop yeah. F-bombs and say C-sucker and mf and stuff like that and getting to decapitate people the way that that sort of actual weaponry would do. It just meant a lot to me, getting all of that stuff in, in one package. Uh, the way we had so, to pretend they were doing in all the other movies. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. Like so uh, for those reasons, that was my, my favorite movie of, of 2017. Dingus, why is it your third favorite movie of 2017? So earlier I was talking about uh, Florida Project and and grudgingly feeling like I have to like something that makes me really not want to like it. Uh, there's so there's a little bit of connective tissue here with Logan um, because you know when when you're growing up and even when you get older, there's that question of if you know what, what superhero power would you choose. Which superhero would you be if you could be any of the superheroes? You know, would you be would you fly or would you choose invisibility? What would you choose? And Wolverine, uh, for me, is that you know as a as I've watched superhero movies develop and whatever comic books I've read, he's just got th- that ability to heal, uh, and combined with the other. The, the strength he has and his adamantium claws, that's just awesome to me. I love his superpower. I love it. You know, when I was a little kid, it was Spider-Man. I wanted to be Spider-Man. I just thought that was super cool. As I got older, I just thought, man, Wolverine is super amazing. I mean, he can do anything. No matter what happens to him, he's going to heal. And this movie pissed me off because it stripped that away. It basically made me realize that there is a sense of of entropy to this. That that no, this isn't forever. He's not able to do this anymore, and increasingly he's not going to be able to do this. And you're going to have to get over that. And you're going to have to grow up. And it pissed me off. It really pissed me off watching it because this is a childhood fantasy. This idea of anything that happens to you. You're going to be able to overcome it. You can smoke whatever you want. You can drink whatever you want. You can punch whatever you want. You can jump off of whatever you want, go through any fire, any flame, anything, and you're going to heal. That is amazing. And I love that idea as a fantasy. And this movie said, no, grow up. This is, this is the reality. This is what happens in the future. You know. In addition to what you're talking about mentally, what's going on, because one of my favorite quotes from the movie is, I, I always know who you are, just sometimes they don't recognize you. And the way that the relationship between Logan and Professor X develops is incredible to me. I 
didn't see that coming. I didn't understand that this was the movie I was going to see. That this was th- this kind of movie, this kind of this kind of feeling of of a of these characters running around in a in a world that felt like to me how I imagined the world looked when I was reading one of my favorite books that I've ever read, The Stand. This this feeling of these characters struggling through and meeting people and then them getting affected by what's going on with them and these people being killed, these people being not, the horses running in the road, all of those things drove me crazy in watching this. And there was a certain amount of anger and then a certain amount of acceptance in it. And then ultimately just being in love with the movie because of understanding, okay, this is a life cycle of a character uh, over the course of how many movies I've watched of it. And I love how they've done that. I love it. I love the way that, that this is portrayed in this particular movie as, as sort of that, part of the arc of this character uh yeah i uh, as 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 upset as i got you know kind of was like getting punched in the face and in a very good way all right kelly one who would win in a fight between logan and thor um in is logan logan's age in logan or is he in his prime and does thor have his hammer uh no and no. Can Thor's claw or wait? Can Thor's claw? Can Wolverine's <laughs> claws? You just upgraded Thor. That's not fair. Well, because Wolverine's first appearance in comics was he fought the Hulk, but I was a little unclear on whether he actually penetrated the Hulk's skin or not with his claws. Because if he does, if he, he either can or he can't, and if he can, he has a good shot. But if he can't, it's kind of a boring. That fight. is a that is a canonical fight. I mean, there's a fight, and I think the Hulk like rips him apart and buries the pieces and wins, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but Logan comes back together. Right. Uh, does he? Okay, I thought. I mean, there. You know, in comic books, you can do whatever. But I think in the one, yeah. But I think the Hulk wins. Uh, There's one where like a super gladiator comes to Earth, and he like he beats Hulk by like making him. Uh, he suffocates him, and makes him unconscious, and I go, wait, you could do that with all of them. You don't have to use like that's because <laughs> it's because the hero underwater. Looks, right, right. The hero's supposed to be the thing, and he's like he kind of prevails because he's like I'll keep getting up no matter what you do, or that's what makes him special. But it's like, yeah, okay, you kind of cheated on the Hulk fight, dude. Whatever. All right. Finally, is this is this finally? Yeah, that's the last one. Yeah, Dingus, what's your favorite movie and my sixth favorite and Kelly Wan's tenth favorite of 2017? <laughs> All right, first one to cry wins. Ah, that'd be Diggus. Yep, that's me. Uh, this would be Ladybird. Uh, this is my favorite movie of the year because I think it is one of the best coming of age movies ever made. Um, I think Saoirse Ronan gives just a freaking amazing performance, and uh, so does Laurie Metcalf. Um, and by the way, Tracy Letts is amazing too. Everybody in this movie is great. Uh, but I saw this movie twice in theaters, and basically, first one to cry wins means I do win because I basically spent the whole time crying both time both times I watched it. Uh, I'm just I'm nuts about this movie because um, I love 
her attitude. I love that it's sort of a more intelligent in certain ways. As much as I love Rushmore, and I always will love Rushmore, this feels like a slightly more intelligent Rushmore. Um, and I just, I just think Greta Gerwig, Greta, Greta Gerwig knows what the fuck she's doing. And I couldn't be happier than watching her come of age as a filmmaker. And I can't wait to see what else she does. Uh, I didn't realize so clearly until after Lady Bird that I didn't really need very much Noah Baumbach in my Greta Gerwig movies. Uh, and and that that's sort of what you can see in Lady Bird. You can clearly see what she's learned from from his dry wit, uh, working with him and like Greenberg and Francis Ha. But Lady Bird is just unadulterated Greta Gerwig without any of Noah Baumbach's sneer or cynicism. And I really liked Meyerowitz stories this year, by the way. I, I got yeah. my dose of Noah Baumbach. I enjoyed it. But I, it was so precious getting to see Greta Gerwig without any of his cynicism. And I embrace that cynicism. I mean, I own it. I, I share it with him. But it was such a joy to watch her telling a, a story that sort of that she did with Noah Baumbach and Francis Ha without any of his baggage. That was so nice. It's all her heart. It's all her story. It's all her insight. Uh, and I just I just treasure that so much. Uh, I love how it is a coming-of-age story, but it has a unique appreciation for friendship um, and religion that I think you don't see in a lot of coming-of-age stories where it's all about who'd you fall in love with and, oh, are you mad at your parents or not anymore? You know, that tends to be the, the topic du jour of coming of age. But Greta Gerwig wants to talk about religion and friendships as, as well in this. Um, Beanie Feldstein, I'm I'm bummed that she's not getting as much recognition as, say, uh, Saoirse Ronan and Laurie Metcalf, who both deserve recognition, of course. But there's a, a, a wonderful young actress named Beanie Feldstein in that movie who is great. Uh, and just the, the entire you, cast is great. By the way, and I didn't realize this at the time. Do you know who she's related to? Beanie Feldstein? Yeah. No. She's the younger sister of Jonah Hill. Oh, oh she's a Hollywood – I didn't realize she was from a celebrity but family. I'm slightly just, less impressed. <laughs> but, but look at her – but if you think about her face – No, no, no. I could, no, I could see that. I could yeah. see, yeah. And yeah. the only reason I know that is because uh, – It's like Raw. Her other brother, Jordan Feldstein, uh, died suddenly this year. And when they talked about him dying, he's the, he, I think he was his music manager or something. Uh, they talked about Beanie. And I was like, well, what? she's so good. And I, I, I yeah. we talked a bit about it on the podcast. I'm just bummed that she's probably going to be relegated to playing best friends. Uh, I hope not because you know, she's so list. great in this. Yeah. She's got, just got such a great comic sensibility and she, and she's absolutely uh, honest as far as her emotions are concerned. She's great. Yeah. Uh, something that's tedious to me in most coming-of-age movies is the main character is usually an idiot for the middle third, and then at the end they get smart and go, all right, all right, and then they've learned good judgment because <laughs> they've come of age. But right. The thing I liked about Lady Bird is she kind of uses good and bad judgment both all the way through. Like sometimes she actually does do the right thing, and even at the end she kind of has a stupid night after she's like gotten everything she wants. She's like, ugh. She has like kind of the worst night ever near the end of the movie. Uh, so I really like that. Like that just feels more like the messiness of real life. Yeah. Like really well, believe in this character and their humanity. When when we did the podcast, Dingus and I talked about a line, Kelly Wand, where she's trying on dresses 
and she says something to her mom about oh shoot what giving me that? an eating disorder is it that? Do you mean do you, do you like me or do you love me? That yeah, thing? yeah. So oh, that, right. Do you like you me you. or do you love me? And Laurie Metcalf, it, in, yeah. in any other past script, would say, yeah, "Of course, I, I I love you," and or it might have some about, "Yes, I like you." Sometimes I don't know whatever, but she says something to her mom about, you know, well, "Do you like me?" And Laurie Metcalf has a line, something along the lines of, "I just want you to be the best person that you can be." Right, right. And kind of hedging. Well, we talked about what is her response to that. What is Saoirse Ronan's response to that? What does Greta Gerwig uh, write into the script? What is that? And, and I think it, it's not the, – the scene isn't about the mom being a dick. The scene is about Saoirse Ronan, Lady Berg, realizing, okay, that's kind of a good point, and I'm not a lot of times the best that I can be. Like I, I think that her mom tells her something valuable, and it's not a scene about how her mom is out of touch with her. Um yeah, and, the and mom, it's getting what you're talking about, Kelly Wan, and that she's imperfect. She still hasn't learned things. Uh, right. It's, right. It's, it, in this movie, she's she's never a perfect person who knows more than her mom. Uh, but the mom's not perfect either. But she's not like oh, Alice, right, right. Janney, and I, Tanya. Like, well, the mom's terrible. certainly not perfect because in that moment at the at the at the sink where she's where right. Saoirse Ronan is begging her, like, please. I'm begging you, just look at me, just talk to me, and she won't. And it's but this that, brutal moment. Uh, so the, they're neither of them are perfect, but they're trying their best to to be exactly what Laurie Metcalf's character is saying. You know, to be the best, to, the best you that you are. And you're right, Kelly Wan. That too, it ends with her still not learning. Like <laughs> going to, I mean, spoiler, I guess. Uh, but it ends with her just having a. You know, making a colossal fuck up when she moves to a new city. Yeah, instantly. Yeah. But she right. also kind of, even then, she it's she even afterwards when she's kind of sobered up, she's still like, ah, you know, that was a stupid night. Like it hasn't like totally traumatized her against New York or anything. She's like, ah, like she kind of everything sort of bounces off of her. Like she goes. One, you should listen to the the quarter to three uh, movie podcast sometimes because Dingus and I did a podcast on this movie, uh, and one of the things that we discussed is. Why doesn't it end – why does it show us that little bit at the end? Yeah. Like, sh- should that be shaved off? Is, that, is there a point no. to all that? And yeah. I, I feel very much there is. But Kelly Wan, there was a discussion of that on the, on this podcast that you should listen to sometime. Well, maybe the listeners didn't hear it either. <laughs> so now they get my uh... – No, I'm teasing because we had to do it without you. This is what I'm I saying. Was, that. that was one of those we had to do without you. Yeah. Well, um, you know. That's how it, that life is. Just then, that's the mo- that's the lesson of Ladybird, Tom. Is sometimes I'm not going to be there for you. Just like Laurie Metcalf is not always going to talk to you, Kelly Wan. But do you like me? Uh, I want you to be the best Tom you can be. <laughs> In that case, Kelly Wan, I have a question for you. Uh huh. What was the most disappointing movie that you saw in all of 2017? Oh, there were so many to choose from, but disappointing means I had to go into it with really high expectations. So I didn't really go into episode eight with high expectations, and I sort of was ambivalent about it. So it wasn't my choice, but the one I was going to – I'm trying to define what disappointed means. <laughs> but the one I really went into with extremely high expectations and came away from the most depressed from was King Kong Skull Island, I have to admit. Now, why were your I, expectations so high for that? Because it was such a great idea for a movie, and I liked oh. that it was set in the 70s, and I go, oh, it's King Kong fight. Like, they're going to go back to Skull Island, and I was really disappointed with how 
safe and PG-13 Skull Island was compared to even Peter Jackson's Skull Island. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't – Peter Jackson's Skull Island was a nightmare that you didn't want to go to. And I just thought the characters sucked in Skull Island. I was really disappointed in uh, the dialogue and just them. There was but Kelly Wan, at least now we see what a great action hero Tom Hiddleston is. I guess. <laughs> but they don't fight anything very challenging. Come on, they fight skull eaters or whatever they would nah, say. It's commercial, fan <laughs> fiction. Uh, and then, oh, there's another king. Oh, Godzilla's going to... Uh, I don't know. Was King Kong versus Godzilla a good fight in the Japanese one? Gosh, I, they're all the same to me. It's just dudes Who wins? Outfits punching each other till one of them falls. Yeah. I didn't um, like the villains either. I didn't like the skull crawlers. I thought they were boring as shit. Yeah, but but we also got to see how great Brie Larson is as an action heroine. So yeah, but that Miss Marvel, there's a Marvel Captain Marvel movie coming up. Now yeah. you got a taste of that in Kong Skull Island. Well, I, I'm offered as many tastes of Brie Larson as I'm offered, but <laughs> I saw um, Free Fire right after that, and it was another '70s Brie Larson, sexy Brie Larson '70s Brie Larson. She wears that '70s like feathered hair pretty well, doesn't she, Kelly Wan? Yeah, and she was just a more fun character in Free Fire right, and in right. Skull Island. None of the characters were very fun. Uh, I offer unto you, Kelly Wand, the Glass Castle, if you want some more Brie Larson. I do. Right. Is, is it 70s? Yeah, Dingus. She has to have her hair feathered, like her bangs feathered in that 70s. Yeah, all right. Well, not so much of that. Yeah. I'm very finicky about her hair now. Yeah. Dingus, what was your most disappointing movie last year? Uh, we do have to remember to feather in some of Chris Parkinson's picks as well. Which oh, I yeah, like. yeah. Uh, but my my biggest disappointment this year easily was Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought you liked it. No, that was me. No, yeah. I couldn't stand I it. Liked I thought it, it was horrible. Uh, and you guys loved oh, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I yeah, loved it. I, I thought it was terrible. Uh, I thought it was a, a pale imitation of the other one. Um, I thought Kurt Russell running around as ego was ridiculous. Uh, I thought it didn't understand how to use music the way the first movie had. Um, and uh, I thought it relegated Star-Lord to just this sort of pathetic character. Uh, and, yeah. of course, as I said last time when we were talking about redemptions, um, I think that the sister relationship sort of devolves into this. We're going to hug and then this awesome character that we sort of developed. Like, just who's going to run off and do that? Uh, I, I really... I, ugh, it, it gives me the heebie-jeebies to think about it. I was really, really disappointed by Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. So, Dingus, even all the awesome stuff with Yondu didn't salvage the, some of it the, for you? The Yondu stuff, I thought Michael Rooker was the saving grace of the movie. Okay. I, I mean, but it doesn't it doesn't do enough to make, make up for the fact that uh, I found it to be another disappointment. But he Kelly- he was great, and um, Kelly Wan, can you? I think he did a great job in the movie as well. I mean, I, I think an acting job. It was a great job, and it was an interesting thing to do with the character. Um, I just think that it's a lot of running around. That Dingus, you don't like when I whistle for my stick, <laughs> Kelly Wan. I was going to ask you, could you maybe lift his spirits with a little bit of Drax? <laughs> oh! <laughs> no. Disappointed. <laughs> That's Blade Runner 2049. I remember that. 
Uh, my most disappointing movie of the year, uh, and again, this is all about your expectations, isn't it? Uh, a fellow named David Michaud writes and directs a movie called Animal Kingdom. Whoa! Then he writes and directs a movie called The Rover. Double whoa! Yeah. Now he writes and directs a movie about the war in Afghanistan called War Machine. Where, uh, yeah. And he's going to have Brad Pitt's star power and Netflix's deep pockets. And it's going to be this this crazy expose about this dynamic, effective general who was undone by the fact that he was a, a clueless tard in terms of interacting with the media. And this is what David Michaud is going to write and direct, and it's going to be called War Machine. And it was that. We got uh, what – and he did that. That's what David Michaud did, the guy who did Animal Kingdom first and then the rover. What on earth happened? I was so disappointed. I mean, I for for a little bit I was circling around. Oh, you know, the snow snowman was kind of weird. That Thomas Alfredson's great, and uh, and even Kingsman. You know, there could be, but but just nothing approached for me. Just the the utter just astonishment at how disappointingly terrible War Machine was. But I have Brad no Pitt idea what was going on. With frosted hair and uh, like. Didn't you – I mean when you – because Netflix – I mean when didn't you see the, like the poster for it on Netflix or like the logo? What do I care about the poster? I couldn't care less about posters for movies, Kelly Wan. <laughs> but to click on it, to, to watch it, don't you have to see like the – Yeah, but what do I care? I don't care. That's just – those are frames someone took to help sell a movie. I don't care about All the right. poster. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Kelly Wan, did you not see a movie called Animal Kingdom and a movie called The Rover? Are you yeah, familiar with those? I saw Sandcastle, which had the best Army Hammer in it, uh, which I, I saw right afterwards to compare to Sandcastle is what War Machine wished it had been half of Sandcastles. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> Kelly Wand, all right. So, if if, uh, if you were disappointed by Kong Skull Island, what's something that you were surprised by more than was, any other movie? Um, I was surprised. Uh, I don't know. Can I have a run? You know what? Hold that thought. Hold that thought. Dingus, right. what were what were Markinson's ten favorites? Give us his his run down his list for us. All right. Uh, so uh, his number ten was a movie called Wonder Woman. Mm. You like that, Dingus? Yeah, I really I loved that movie, and every time I see it pop up on a list, um, I keep thinking it was la- it was the year before last. I mean, it was not 2017, but 2016, because it was. It's hard for me to sort of wrap my head around the idea that they put out Wonder Woman and Justice League in the same year. Um, and I, I, I loved. I really loved that movie. I, I, and I love the fact that Chris chose it. He said that he was dreading this movie. He assumed it was going to be another DC bomb, and he was wrong. Uh, By that standard, that it's great. <laughs> is excellent as Wonder Woman. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Chris's number nine is Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Um, uh, his number eight is Wind River. Yeah. Uh, he and he's kind of surprised that this movie is on his list. Uh, number seven is Free Fire. Huh. Uh, he says the first few minutes of the movie had him dreading that it was going to be a Tarantino ripoff, uh, uh, and he and he's happy to see that he was wrong. Uh, his number six movie was Thor Ragnarok. 
<laughs> he said there was no movie that made me laugh as much as Thor Ragnarok did. Uh, his number five was Lady Bird. Uh, just like last year with Moonlight, I kept seeing A24 tweets about how good this movie was. Um, his number four movie was Dunkirk. Uh, his number three was a little movie called Your Name, which we already talked about. His number two was a movie called Atomic Blonde. Uh, he says, I saw Atomic Blonde four times on the big screen. Wow. <laughs> right from the start, I liked this movie. Didn't uh, and I know he's, he's, Chris has been very vocal about the fact that Atomic Blonde and the number one movie that he chose, Logan. Hey, he copied was, off my list. Yeah. Uh, he cheated he off was, of my work. He was, I think he was back and forth about which was going to be number one. He had a hard time with this, as I remember, like going over the course of the year. One of the cool things about Chris is when he writes in, he's very frank about those types of things. Uh, and for his number one was Logan. He said, I saw Logan on the big screen three times. I had heard it was going to be an R-rated movie, and I would pretty much assumed there would be some cussing and some blood and maybe some boobs. The movie had that, but so much more than those things. And holy crap, well, were, I enjoyed it. There were boobs. I forgot. Logan actually had boobs, Kelly Wand. Remember? Oh, yeah. Logan's? <laughs> By the way, there's a character named Frank in Free Fire because he was saying he likes things that are Frank. <laughs> and he says – and I, I love that he says this because I can immediately see it in my head. He's talking about Daphne Keene. I still remember her walking toward the bad guys and jerking her shoulder to drop that backpack onto her hand. Oh, yeah, that's good. But such a great moment. I didn't like the other kids. That's what ruined Logan for me. That well, Kelly, well, I mean, if you say, like, if, if there's a movie, when you said that Free Fire had nothing that annoys you, and I couldn't think of anything either, I definitely, the, the Lost Boys bit of Logan, I could have done without. But yeah. uh, that doesn't, that still, it was still my favorite movie of the year, though. What do you but, mean the Lost Boys bit? You know, all the little, the Peter the tribes. That, that oh, all right. Movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, partly I, my my problem wasn't with them per se, but with how the movie uh, handled them with uh, kid gloves, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. Uh, those, those kids should have just been massacred by Boyd Holbrook at the end of the right. movie. Should have opened right. fire on them. Correct. Uh, right. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Because otherwise, the movie is so unremittingly R-rated that I was braced for that, and I wish James Mangold had followed through. But no, we had to have. And it- and it has a cool kid that I'm already into, so I don't need a bunch of other fucking. <laughs> the other kids. ones are disposable, right? <laughs> I don't need. I don't want to get your new mutants out of my Logan. Right? I don't need a fucking spinoff. Uh, did Markinson well, have a- actually interesting? That's there is a sort of. Uh, What's the interview with a vampire little girl? Is it Claudia? Is Kirsten it? Dunst, one of my favorite yeah. things this year, Frumpy Dunst. Yeah, yeah. That, there is a sense of that. Uh, this this one like immortal kid who has to now be alone for all time. Right. That's a bummer. It's like uh, let the right one in kind of ending. Wait, did Marketson have a most surprising and disappointing as well, or is it just his top ten? Uh, I think it was just his top ten. Okay. So, Kelly Wand, it is time for you to now were – you, were you asking if you could have multiple most surprising movies? Well, there's like a surprise – like – I wanted to clarify what surprising meant. Really, you need me to clarify for you. We've only been doing this podcast for 17 years, Kelly Wand. <laughs> okay, well, like, okay, so I saw You know disaster. what, we're skipping you. Dingus, right, right. coming back to you while you All look right. up the word surprising in the dictionary. Dingus, you go first. What's the most surprising movie of 2017 for you? Well, I would say uh, I had 
three choices for this, but the oh my god, we're skipping you. We're going to me. <laughs> would be split, um, which was Kelly One's number seven. So he's already gotten to talk about it, uh, but mainly because of how it's totally surprised me. I, I was expecting to hate this movie. Yeah, because I've it's Shyamalan, really, you mean? Yeah, because I've yeah. gotten really tired of him, and I think that he's played out. Um, but I think this movie really brings things together, and what was so exciting for me and what totally jazzed me, and you'll hear this if you listen to our podcast, was how it fits within the universe of his other movie, uh, a movie that I deeply love, um, and how surprised I was in this dawning realization as I watched it that that's where we were going, and then the final understanding, oh, that's that's what you're doing. You're creating, oh, this is in that universe. I, you know, A lot of people see that as a gimmick. For me, it is a total feature for this movie in that it it makes me it made me fall in love with split almost to the point where it almost wound up on my list um i was crazy about that fact and i was totally knocked out i'm i'm super curious whether Shamalian is known, I, I, and I think he's a good, he's a good filmmaker. There's no disputing that. He gets discredited as the twist guy a lot, and I think that's super unfair. Uh, he's made some really crappy movies. I think The Happening is terrible, even though I defend his script in this weird way. Uh, <sighs> but but I think he knows he he's just he knows filmmaking, and I really want to see him take because. Uh, uh, split is kind of a genre. It's you know the the captured girl in the in the basement uh, genre right. with the villain, and I want to see what he's going to do with this idea of a of a superhero universe. Like I want to see what he does with something that would be like the Avengers or like a comic book movie. Yeah. And I guess Unbreakable was kind of that, but Unbreakable it's kind of a twist that you get. Uh, I just want to see him use his skill as a filmmaker, which is super evident in so many places, even some of his crappy movies. Uh, to do this idea of the beast fighting Mr. Glass, fighting Mr. Umbringer, whatever he's going to do with that. I'm just super excited that Split opened up for him the way that it did. Yeah. Well, or maybe even that movie is a different kind of – like Unbreakable yeah. was, was like a family drama, and this – it's like a captive girl movie. That's what it's disguised as. So right, I'm, exactly. I'm curious to see what that movie you're describing is disguised as. Exactly, because it's not just going to be like an Avengers thing, or it's right. not just going to be like some DC comic. What what is he going to do using his filmmaking skills and whatever these characters, you know, whatever genre movie they're going to be in next? Yeah. yeah. So I just find that amazing. I, I I don't know. I just find it unbelievably exciting. It turns me on this idea of what he could do with that. You know this, this you know shaping humanity into this particular in in this particular way. I'm crazy about this universe, this idea of it. I, it just I'm so excited about it. And according and to Kelly, I Wan's could not count, be more surprised. We we still have 17 uh, beast forms for McAvoy to do. Right, there's a lot of possibilities, and maybe yeah. we'll have even more. Maybe oh no, no, beast is yeah. one of them. 17, like some of them might be like old ladies and stuff. Yeah. Right. The thing that split like, and it follows too. I, there's certain movies where if you told someone the idea for it, they'd go, "That's the dumbest fucking thing I've ever." Is <laughs> one of those, and like, it, and it proves that you can take that idea and actually make something good out of it. Like, just don't tell anyone your idea. Basically, is the trick. I disagree. Yeah. Why do you say that? Why do you say? Because I could make split sound like a sexy, cool idea. Do you want me to? Yeah. 
Okay. Uh, there's a, a woman who's been captured by a psycho, and this psycho claims that he can turn into an inhuman beast. And over the course of the movie, we start to realize that maybe he can. That's a pretty effective formula. Like that's what drove Split. That's that's not a dumb well, you're idea. You're leaving out the 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 roles that he is for most of the movie isn't that okay it's like well, right know. or is he just a dumb a weird crazy guy with multiple personalities right um, that's I, the movie I, I, just, I thought we were going in for right right yeah and uh, what and, those personalities are like this is who you is gonna who this is the character you're gonna be on screen with more than, now here's where well, here's where I would agree that it's a, a dumb f and idea Kelly Wan if you then added to this and the villain will be played by James McAvoy. Right. And I would have been like, no, God, oh, get out of here with that. I hate him so much. I don't understand that. I hate him. He's just a, he's such a lightweight. Or he was. He's, he's fine now. Thing is, he's, uh, he's, he's, he's where you go if you can't afford Ewan McGregor uh, and you wanted him. Uh, you, go with, uh, you go with James McAvoy. Mm. I mean, he, he is what he is. He's a, you, you can watch from Last King of Scotland. He plays guys who aren't quite qualified to be where they are. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> uh, my most surprising movie of 2017 uh, was uh, by a director I'd never seen anything by him before. And it's, when the movie was over, I was a little dis- surprised to discover, wait a minute, this guy's been doing things for a couple of years now. I need to check some of those out. Uh, they're actually brothers, guys named uh, Josh and Benny Safdie, S-A-F-D-I-E. Uh, they made a movie called Good Time. Uh, this year, Kelly, did you see Good Time? No, I don't see movies it with Jimmy Walker. Is a Kelly Wand movie through and through. Okay. That's one of the things see, I kept yeah. thinking. Watching, Dingus, did you see Good Time? You probably didn't. I did. You not. didn't tell me to see okay. it, did you? I didn't know I... you should see it. I only recently saw it. So Good Time is. Uh, it reminds me of seventies cinema. And that's one of the best things I can say about it. It's also one of those one crazy night in New York kind of things. Like it's all in one night. It's compressed time. Uh. Uh, and it's it's Robert Pattinson um, as a and it, it's super like it, it's filmmaking. Uh, so Josh Safdie and uh, Benny are their brothers. Uh, Benny Safdie is actually in this. I think they co-write together. Uh, it's a Coen Brothers kind of thing, I think, where one of them gets directing credit and the other co-writing. I'm not sure what it is, but I think Josh Safdie is technically the guy who directed uh, Good Time, and Benny Safdie is also in it in a, in a small part. Um, but it's super flashy and incredibly kinetic filmmaking. This guy knows how to put stuff on film that moves like you wouldn't believe. Uh, and that's part of why I thought it was very 70s. Uh, it, this, the soundtrack is very electronic. It reminds me a lot of Tangerine Dream. And as I was watching it, I was like, wow, this is like the very first part of Sorcerer. Where Roy Scheider's in New York and he's trying mm. to get out and things are going terribly, terribly wrong. Um, and Robert Pattinson basically plays the Roy Scheider part. It's not a period piece, by the way. It's modern day New York. So Robert Pattinson is in New York and things are going terribly, terribly wrong. And he's trying to – he's a super smooth, smart, just smooth-talking, inventive guy. And things just don't go right for him. And I love in the movie how things don't go right from him. Uh, It's gritty. It's audacious. And it has a great 70s feel to it. Uh, And I immediately wanted to see everything else these guys have done, uh, Josh and Benny Safdie. Um, And Kelly Wand, you definitely need to see it. It's for you. All right. It's It's a Kelly Wand movie. I like right, movies so, with not with the word time in the title. Uh, and it's not good times, and it's not 
one word. It's good time. Uh, it's a, I, I will say I don't like that. It's a dumb title. Like once the movie's over, you're like, okay, that's you named it that. You guys, Even after you guys it gets did, over? Yeah, it's like you guys really did this good movie. You had no idea what to call it. And then after it was over, you're like, yeah, we'll just call it that. Um, uh, that's how I felt about the movies. What about the snakes? So afterwards, I was like, yeah, that's how I felt about the movie It. <laughs> Kelly, one, do you it. do you oh. now have a handle on what the, we mean by the word surprising? Can you now pick a so. most surprising movie of 2017? All right, so I'd seen the Clint Eastwood Beguiled, the Beguiled, the Don Siegel one. Mm-hmm. So even based on having seen that, I didn't go into the remake thinking this is going to be a really awesome comedy. But I remember thinking during it a lot, this is funny shit. This is really fucking funny. I love Colin Farrell's come-ons, like his his Civil War game. Like, and that's what he has improved his life doing from being a Civil War veteran. It's like, oh, wait, <laughs> I'm in like a harem, a slave plantation harem. Uh, it's just great. I thought it was funny as shit. Um but the runner-up I was thinking was I that, saw the what? Okay, Wait, you, right. you and I remember Beguiled very differently. You thought it was you a should. comedy. Yeah, I thought it was an excellent comedy. Right. There, there were sort of comedic okay. bits as uh, you know, watching him play the girls against each other, and especially like how they they acted around him. Yeah. Uh, Competing. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty sly. It's Sofia Coppola basically making a parlor room drama about how women interact with each other, which is going to have comedic right. elements. But these different ca- – yeah, but – and Nicole Kidman, like, after she's got a wash, Colin Farrell, and then she has, like, a sweat attack over a basin. <laughs> that was fucking funny, too. I and like I, I, it, Yeah, the cast is great. I liked Beguiled a lot. Frumpy yeah. Dunst. Frumpy Dunst. will always have Frumpy Dunst from that. It's we need really more Frumpy cast. Dunst. yeah. And Colin Farrell as an Irishman, like <laughs> his accent is terrible. He'll never get away playing an Irishman again, yeah. though. I will say, <laughs> but, but they thought that, that that just made it more intriguing to them. Like, look, it's, it's literally Colin Farrell. Oh, right, right. Here, I don't know. And I've seen his sex tape, and it just it, I couldn't stop thinking about it during. <laughs> hey, well, so I'm like, the, yeah, surprising part of this podcast. All right, yeah. Dingus, how many of your favorite tele- uh, favorite little thingies? No, favorite miscellaneous thingies. Is that the name of the – Best I never miscellaneous should... thingy. I got Best miscellaneous that. thingy. All right, so yeah, that's oh, that's why I'm wanting to do favorites because I have multiples. I didn't yeah. have – let's see. I'm going to go with one, two, three. Can I have four? Sure, go ahead. All right. I'm just going to rattle these off. Ready? One of my favorite miscellaneous thingies in the movie Wheelman – I don't know who Cheetah is or why he didn't show up. <laughs> I want to know what's the deal with Cheetah not showing up when Frank Grillo tries to call him. So it's the best name, best unseen character's name. Yeah. So where's Cheetah? Like he calls Cheetah, Cheetah a couple of times. He's like, uh-huh. Cheetah, you're fucking me up, man. Call me back. We never hear back from Cheetah. We don't know who he is. Cheetah ch- totally bails and doesn't call back uh, Wheelman, Frank Grillo in, in Wheelman. Uh, uh. So uh, Cheetah's being a wall. That's one of my three favorite things. Hmm. I'm sorry, four. Thing. Miscellaneous thingy, right? Uh, my another of my favorite miscellaneous things from 2017. Uh, discovering that the girl with all the gifts was a zombie movie. 
I had no idea going in. That was such an awesome thing to discover in that movie. Uh, you know, the way it starts with kids in a bunker and you're like, what? What the heck? And then discovering, whoa, I'm in a zombie movie. They tricked me. I've been yeah. watching this thing for 20 minutes now and had no idea. I loved that. Time uh, my, my third favorite thing, uh, Nock Lan is a character played by Hong Chow in the movie Downsizing. <laughs> and there's a point in Downsizing where Nock Lan lists her eight types of fucks. Huh. And Nock Lan's eight fucks, uh, that list right there, it's one Best of my miscellaneous, favorite miscellaneous thingies. And then finally, um, we see a lot of like post-apocalypse movies that start with some sort of a, a little text thing uh, explaining, hey, society collapsed, and now it's 30 years later, and here we go. Uh, we saw a movie called The Survivalist this year that opens with just a red line, and then dates fade in, and the mm. red line shows you, oh, you're looking at a human population, and the red line slowly climbs. And then a blue line comes in just real dramatically up from below, and it passes the red line, and, and the, the camera zoomed in on these two lines, and you realize, oh, I'm looking at a graph, and the blue line is oil production. And the lines sort of – they take off and they jet up, and we've lost count of the years. I mean they're going so fast you can't track any specific years. And then the blue line just kind of like whoops and just starts trickling off the oil production one, and then it disappears. And the red line keels over and just drops precipitously. And it's a graph representing – a dynamic graph at the beginning of The Survivalist representing the end of civilization. Uh, and I love how it did that very vividly with just those two lines showing you what those, uh, those lines represent and then showing you how they move. Uh, that was a great end of the world beginning for The Survivalist. Uh, All right, those are my four favorite miscellaneous thingies. Kelly Wand, how many do you have? Okay, I got six now. All right. Should I just rattle them? Sure, give them to us. Okay, best commercial for another movie was The Disaster Artist, which I thought was grossly miscast, but it led me to – I saw The Room first, and The Room was the the greatest movie I've ever watched. It's amazing. It's really, really good. Have you seen the whole thing, Tom? The Room? I've yeah. seen I've seen enough of it to know that I don't need to see the whole thing. Yeah, I've seen the, I've seen the scenes from it. And, you know, at the end of Disaster Artist, they show you the scenes side by side. So yeah. I've seen enough of the room. Disaster Artist is no room, uh, but the room is the room. Uh, best applause moment is when Brian Cranston Zordon in Power Rangers says, "Send the meteor to my coordinates." Brian Cranston is in Power Rangers. Yeah. Did not know that a yellow ranger is dying and he has to blow up the earth to save the moon. So he says. So is Elizabeth Banks like his henchman? Oh, she's in it. I thought she was the. Wait a minute. No, that's Hunger Games. She's not in it. Elizabeth Banks? No. What? Elizabeth Elizabeth Berkeley. No, wait. No, she's she's not the villain in Power Rangers. Okay, she might be. What's the movie where they're all different colors? Power Rangers. And isn't she like a big dragon or villain or something like that? She has uh, yeah. Nice... Okay, yeah. That's not... <laughs> you haven't even seen it. Brian Cranston isn't in this. I'm calling into doubt all your miscellaneous thingies, Kelly. Best wants. applause moment. Uh, it's from best... a movie you haven't seen. I saw the Brian Cranston parts. I was in the bathroom for the other parts because I, kind of... <laughs> I had diarrhea. But uh, best birthday party was in Super Dark Times. Did you see that movie? I did. I liked that a lot. Yeah. That's a Kelly Wand movie. Yeah, yeah. I liked it. I know which character I am. I do, too. (laughs) Which character is Dingus, by the way? 
I don't think Diggs is any of them. Yeah, he might be the he might be the guy who gets called on the phone and he's like, "Stop calling me." That's kind of how Diggs. There's a there's an amazing uh, waking up from a dream edit in that. Yeah, talking about. Uh huh. God, I love that edit. It's just a it's just a super sharp. What name is it, Bob? Yeah, yeah. Wait, wait, is that the one? It's where he like, yeah, where he thinks that the guy is sitting on his chest, and then yeah. he wakes up, and there's a quick reverse shot of him waking up, and then another reverse shot of him awake with the guy on his chest, and then a reverse yeah, shot yeah, back. Yeah. Like this idea of bleeding together. Wait, what was I dreaming about? Am I awake? It's like the coolest like awake dream trick since American Werewolf in London. I thought. Yeah, and it lasts exactly that long. It's yeah. like, wait, there really is an alien farting on me. Kind and those thing. kids are really good. The casting yeah. is amazing. Those, that, that, those, yeah. And it doesn't wimp out. It, it is. Not. It lives. It lives up to the title. They are pretty super dark times. Yeah, take I mean, that, Stranger that, Things. Yeah, Stranger Things. Fuck Stranger Things. <laughs> I don't. I think everyone's just gone. Just gone insane. That's what Stranger Things taught me. It's like a Trump Netflix event or something. <laughs> anyway, best foreplay. Is Fastbender and Fastbender and Alien Covenant? Oh yes, I'll, Kelly, Kelly Wand, I'll do the fingering. Yeah, ready. <laughs> uh, best mom, uh, I Tanya, and uh, I really most... liked um, Amy Hargreaves in uh, Super Dark Times. The mom in that was really good. She was great. Yeah, yeah, she yeah. was kind of important, and you don't really get to see her at the end. Um, and just inter- interaction interactions with her son. It was just yeah, it was like a great. Yeah mom dynamic yeah. she loves him and he loves her he's nice to her he's yep. not just like the sullen brooding teen he like when she asks him questions he kind of like yeah, yeah. she's all right yeah mm. uh but still best mom is i Tanya. and then lavana uh, harding uh, lavanya lavana harding yeah LaVonna uh, harding. Alice, alice and janney sure yeah yeah although she was a cool mom and lost but i preferred her i Tanya mom finally you realize she's not tony collette Nice work, Kelly Wand. This is what it took. <laughs> uh, and also, most boring birth uh, was Goon, Last of the Enforcers. There's a uh, woman giving birth sequence. It's that, not exciting at all. No, no thrills to be had. It's the low point. I like the Wyatt Russell stuff. but uh, It's like the third time he's been a jock in a movie. Like 22 Jump Street and Everybody Wants Some and Goon. He's like tough guy, but then in Black Mirror, he's not tough, is he? All right, so uh, that is is that are those are your favorite miscellaneous thingies from 2017, Kelly Wand. Dingus, so. yeah. as the inventor of these awards, what do you have for us? These got it, these are probably pretty good. So I love Laura uh, Daphne Keen on that coin op machine uh, outside, just riding that thing, um, and Logan. You know, that little coin-up horse or whatever it is. Uh, Kelly Wand and I call that the Jennifer Connelly ride. Oh, my God. Your opportunities. Your opportunities, yeah. yeah. I, I, just <laughs> love, opportunities. I just love the way that it looks. Uh, next, I would put the chalk from Dunkirk. Um, I, I can't get away from that image of, of what that means, and I mentioned it earlier. Uh, next, I would put uh, Lucky's... Uh, Lucky in um, in the movie Lucky, Harry Dean Stanton has this moment where he just spontaneously spontaneously starts singing at this kid's birthday party that he's been invited to, and this mariachi band comes behind 
comes up behind him to accompany him. And it's just this beautiful, weird, uh, uncomfortable, but ultimately just gorgeous moment. Did you accidentally and, watch Coco instead, Dingus? Uh, I did not watch Coco All instead. Right. Okay, but watching sure Harry Dean Stanton sing a song in Spanish backed by a mariachi band is one of those great moments in life. Uh, and finally, um, this is from the, the my favorite miscellaneous moment so far that I, you know, before I do my final write-up, is this moment from Three Billboards uh, where Woody Harrelson coughs and, like, sprays blood on her in this interrogation scene and he says, I didn't mean, and she stands up and says, I know baby. It's this beautiful moment of motherhood and they're finally going to drop this cat and mouse thing. They're doing this, this difficulty, this game that they're playing with each other and they're just going to be humans. And he's like, I didn't mean, and she says, I know baby. And it's this motherly moment that I just that made me fall in love with three billboards. All right. So there are favorite miscellaneous thingies from 2017. And that is a wrap for a year of movies. Um, <laughs> let's do it. Ag- part. Yeah. Let's do it again in another year. Woo! We did it. Let's kick it all off by going to see The Commuter next week. Oh! Maybe that'll be on some lists a year from now when you guys listen to another Top Ten podcast. Most um, disappointing. Kelly Wand, uh, while the listeners are, are uh, pondering three by – they should be pondering what three by three now, Kelly Wand, and how can they participate? Uh, the three best continuity errors. In movies, mm-hmm. if you want to participate in that, <laughs> if tons of continuity errors are suddenly filling your mind right now, send them in to 3x3 at quarter to 3.com and I will misread them on the air at the end of January. Yep, get those to us by midnight, January 28th. Uh, uh, alternatively, go check out The Commuter. It's one Colette Serra's movie. Both. No, you can do both uh, in separate emails. Uh, and if you see The Commuter, let us know what you thought of it. Uh, send us an email at 3x3 at quarter to 3.com by January 14th at midnight. How and dare join you? us next week for a commuter podcast. I am Tom Chick. I'll be here next week with Christian Malinsky, I believe it, it is. Yeah, it's Christian Moroski. And Kelly Wand. Also, best dick, Creep 2. Sweet like under to my soul. I finally saw that, but if if I was hung like that, I'd probably do it too. I prefer that we be more capable and prepared than lucky. Observation, reflection, faith, and determination. In this way, we may navigate the path as it unfolds before us. All right, and we have what eight more recharge cycles to go before we get to Oregon Six. Is that a question, yes, sir? Yes, Walter, that's a question. That is correct. Maybe we were. Maybe we were God's mistake. It's deep, man. Fuck.